Hello, everyone. What a day in the United States of America, January 20th. Something feels different. I don't know what. Maybe we'll get to that in a second. But it was also what a weekend in the world of running. Indoor track was back in a big way. We had a thing Mo begins her collegiate career with a win at Texas A&M. We've got a world record in the men's indoor triple jump. We've got high school runners. 202-947 by high school girls. Insane. Alephine Tuliamuk has welcomed her daughter into the world. An Olympic champion has been suspended again. And we've got a 16-year-old high school boy turning pro in the sprints, Arion Knighton. Tons to discuss, guys. Robert, welcome. A new day, a new era for the United States of America. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here. I think we should call it Democracy Day. It should be a new national holiday. It's what America's about, the transition to power. Good news to report, previous podcast listeners. I have received my $500. The better who I bet that Donald Trump would not be president. This was after the election, has paid a few hours in advance. So I think he's saying we will have a new president here. And by the time this podcast hits, we better have a new president or we're in a load of trouble, America. But it's 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 a good day. Good day for... America, no matter what side you voted on, like this is what it's about. Peaceful transition of power. Wow. I'm glad to see you guys happy. Weldon's rich or somewhat wealthier than he was. And John, I don't think I've ever seen you that happy to start a show. I'm a little bit confused about what's going on, but I love to see my employees happy. I thought this might be a, a down podcast. I mean, I've been reading in the news. John gets mad about us when we ask him about his dating life on the podcast and stuff like that. But we've seen in the last few days that you can be fired for your job on your dating life, John. So it's important that we ask about your dating lives, make sure that you don't get fired. But I wasn't totally paying attention. I was trying to figure out if, if Joe Exotic was getting pardoned in the, in the next hour or so. I think it would be the perfect end to the clown show, the circus of the last four years if the circus guy, Joe Exotic, goes out. And that's said by someone, Trump supporters, that's said by someone who was raised on talk radio, with, by Rush Limbaugh, but man, I guess I can see why you're, you're happy, John. Um, but I, I'm not sure. I'm a little bit confused. Again, as I said, it's a new era. We've elected the oldest white man in the history of the president, and John's calling it a, a new era. He was better than all the minority candidates and all the women. We've gone. America is officially totally not woke. I mean, you can focus on his age. I'm just going to focus on the fact that he's not uh, someone who just lies constantly and is just at his core, a bad human being. So I think it's an upgrade on the old guy. We don't have to worry about him anymore. Uh, but great show, tons to discuss. Let's get started. I mean, well then, we got, I didn't even tease a couple of our biggest interviews today. John, but first, now we just got a bunch of one-star reviews. Anytime you go too political, you get one-star, you know, like I, I've heard conservative, we've been called conservative trash, and we get one-star iTunes reviews. Rate review, five stars only, please. Yes, we have arguably... I might, this might be the most controversial thing I've said in the podcast this year. We might have the most popular runner on Let'sRun.com on today's podcast, and that is the great Jim Walmsley. He's taking another shot at the 100K world record Hoka Carbon X2 is this weekend. So we'll be talking to him at the end. And also before that, we'll be talking to Andrew Bumbleow. Bumbleo, the Nike Bowerman athlete, retired last week, and he works with Pure. It is the first data-based nutrition company. They're the sponsor of this week's podcast. They make custom, on-demand, pre- and post-run shakes. 
we'll have more on that in a second. But I was on this email chain and I saw Andrew Bumbleo and I'm like, wait, does Bumbleo do stuff with them? Like we should talk to him. So he'll be on for a short talk about Pure. But real quickly, if you want to get these shakes, mine are in the mail. These shakes, they look at your Strava if you want to. You fill out a questionnaire. It's the first database nutrition company handcrafted in Brooklyn, New York. You can go to pwure.com and use code NEXTLEVEL to save 20% off your first order. Or if you need a little more information, listen to Andrew Bumbleo coming up soon. Actually, change of course. Let's do Bumbleo right now, and then we'll get into this week's action. Update on our talk with Bumbleo. He talks about two of Rojo's favorite topics, whether Evan Jager should drop Jerry Schumacher, and also about whether the 2016 Olympic marathon results should be invalidated because of super shoes. Turns out Andrew was one of the first people ever to wear a super shoe. All right, everyone, we're joined by Andrew Bumbleo, the recently retired Andrew Bumbleo, one of the most consistent 5K runners, runners on, on the circuit the last, I guess, decade. He was a star at Georgetown, then he turned pro and ran for the Bowerman Track Club, where he ran 13-12 for 5K, made the world's team in 2011, went on to run a 2:10 in the marathon, made a U.S. cross-country team in there as well, a road 5K U.S. champion, so he's a national champion. I'm sure I'm missing something. Andrew, welcome. First of all, congrats on the retirement. Thanks. Yeah. No, I mean, as we were kind of talking off offline, it, it's 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 generous to call it a retirement. I'd say like. I'm no longer, as Kyle Mar- Merper squarely put it, I'm no longer being paid to run. Uh, I now have to figure out the, the next part of, of, of the career. <laughs> yeah, now you're like 99.9% of runners, but it's cool to be able to run professionally. You got to do it. So I, I guess quickly, how did, how did you decide to hang them up? I know you kind of, your focus had been the marathon. You didn't make the marathon team. And then all the last year's marathons got canceled. Was it sort of the decision was sort of made for you or kind of talk us through that real quickly? Yeah, no, I think it's kind of like COVID, the the, the onset of COVID probably, uh, you know, made it faster in terms of like speeding up the process without kind of the the second chance opportunity of a, of a Boston after how the trials went for me or, or potentially a fall marathon. There wasn't anything really t- to target. And, you know, I think I'd been feeling for a little while that, I was ready to to pursue uh, the next phase of my career, and um, yeah, the timing just kind of lined up. And I think I had a lot of time to sit with it over the summer, so it wasn't something that I had to, you know, uh, make a decision right away. And uh, yeah, no, I think it, it feels right, and I'm excited for all the things that are they're coming up. And looking back at your career, what's your what's your highlight? Do you have one highlight or multiple highlights? What are you most proud of? It's so hard to like. To, to conceptual, I mean, 10 years of doing something, it's hard to put one thing, you know, I, and unfortunately for me, it's not that I can say, oh, I made an Olympic team and that's my career highlight. I mean, for me, it was like kind of a career of almost, you know, I think the the thing the thing that I'm most proud of is is just my consistency throughout. I mean, I was anytime I lined it up, I, I think I always raced to my fitness level. Um, and so that's something that I can walk away and feel good about. I mean, uh, if, if I had to put, you know, just a couple of things that are that are special moments for my career. One was actually most recently in 2018, uh, the Boston Marathon finishing fifth, um, just enduring that day and, and getting to the other side of it uh, with how, you know, harrowing the conditions were is something that, you know, I will always look back on and just be super proud of. 
Um, and I think the other part is just like the, the top five finishes uh, for five years in a row at USA's in the 5K. I mean, a, a slew of third and fourth places, which are never the one, the positions you want. I mean, fourth place, especially not the position you want to be in. Uh, I finished second once. And so I think those two things are, are kind of the combination. And then just the the longevity with one team and one coach being there for 10 years is is a special thing as well. Yeah, you Bowerman runners are very loyal. And I mean, I think that's testament to what Jerry's created. My brother's having this huge argument. I guess, oh, actually, we discussed this on the main podcast. So this will shock my brother. He's convinced Evan needs to move on to a new coach. I'm sure you disagree with that, but Tell us what you think if Evan Jager should switch coaches. You know, I for me personally, I think that would that would be ill-advised. I think, you know, Evan has been able to reach a, a different level than anyone ever, I think, would have would have thought of him. You know, I mean, he's run 332 for 1500. He's run 13 flat or thereabouts in the 5K. And, you know, obviously the best American steepler of all time. And um, you know, while he's he's had some, I guess, setbacks more recently, I think, you know, probably with age as much as anything, it's like, you know, he's figuring those things out. And I think you're going to see an Evan Jager that's that's as strong as ever. I mean, I think he's kind of figured out what what how to deal with the aging body and um, has really dialed that in. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I would say he'd be crazy to switch uh, at this point. And I think you're going to see something like the next couple of years with the Olympics followed by the world championships, you know, I think we're going to see Evan Jager of old for sure. One more Bowerman question. Yeah. You've got teammates running 1250s now. Are you shocked by that? Yeah, I was, I'll be honest. Like when, when I saw Mo do that at the Jesuit high school track, I was there that night. Um, I helped kind of put on uh, some of the stuff that you, some of the work behind the scenes to, to do some of that, those races this summer, I was totally blown away. I mean, I knew Mo was good, but uh, you know, when we first started training together, like I was, I was able to have the upper hand in the distance stuff. And so it was, it's just really interesting to see his progression and, and just how much his speed has come along as well. So, I mean, he's, he's a gifted athlete and he works really, he works really, really hard. I mean, he just, he's dead. He's totally dedicated to the life of a distance runner. And I can't say that, that I, everyone is is willing to kind of make those sacrifices that that he's made along the way to to get that type of performance. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. All right, turning to the retirement and what's next. Well, one, I heard you want to go into sort of product marketing, maybe shoe development. Is is that correct? Yeah, that's like the central focus of of my next step career. Like I I, ever since I got brought in in 2014-15 to start uh kind of being a thought partner uh, for what eventually became the next percent line of footwear at Nike, um, you know, that really, it sparked my imagination for what was possible. I remember the first prototype I ever put on that wasn't runnable at the time, but it was just kind of something to to try in the hallway. The hallway was was this hard concrete, like, floor, you know, polished concrete floor. And I stepped out of a carpeted room onto that floor and put on like the the foam you know that that is in that is in those shoes and i was just i couldn't believe what i was stepping on it was so soft it was so resilient um i think seeing like kind of be a, a partner along the way and seeing that uh evolution in the sport has been something that really captured my own kind of uh, imagination and excitement and so that's you know i want to deliver that i think to to other athletes uh, at the highest level, but also all the way down to 
to just giving someone who maybe wants to to run a 5k locally or just get out to run because you know they want they want to make a change in their life so i th- i think that's that's what really excites me about about that next venture wow i, d- I had no idea you were that involved with it going back that far I really should have my brother on the podcast because these are his two hot topics. The, his other hot topic is he wants the 2016 Olympic marathon results invalidated because he says it's unfair that, you know, essentially a few Nike athletes had these shoes. I mean, not all of them had them and others didn't. Like, what's your response to that? That's a very, very hot. That's a very spicy take. Um, I, I mean, for me, you know, you don't point the finger at the shoe companies, point the finger. I mean, if there's someone to kind of, of blame i would say it's it's more it's more just like the governing bodies trying to have a more defined uh you know rules around what's allowed and what's not and um you know obviously the shoe companies are what fund the elite sport the sport at the elite level and so um you know shoe companies are always going to look to innovate and make better product and, and make money off that better product and so uh, I think it's a little disingenuous to say that it's the shoe company's fault for continuing to innovate when there aren't really like hard and fast rules set for that. Um, and there weren't in 2016. So I, I, I disagree with that. I, I also think that having a better framework for rules going forward on what is allowed and what's not, and then having the shoe companies compete within those, uh, you know, those guidelines is, is the best way forward for the sport, for the athletes, for the purity of it as well as shoe companies continuing to be able to, you know, do what they do and and make really good product and continue to innovate. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I'd be happy to, to have it out there on that, on that uh, topic, but that's, that's my take at least. Yeah, that was good. Good response. I, I think he would say, Oh, the, the rules were vague, but it said something about unfair advantage and that the spirit of the rules was violated, but Ultimately, if the IWF's not going to enforce them to, or they're not clear, I think the ultimately the responsibility is on the rule makers. They either need to make rules, rules cool or enforce them or not have them on the books. But so the other thing with retirement, I'm, we're working with Pure and they were going to sponsor this week's podcast. And I'm like, I see Andrew Bumble on these emails. And I'm like, wait, it's, there's not two Andrew Bumbleos. There's no way there's another one. So. Tell us about what you're doing with Pure, and then we'll talk a little bit about the product because it seems very cool. Yeah, so I was a, I was approached uh, by a mutual friend uh, of mine and 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 the founders at Pure. Um, you know, they're they're two guys that are from Europe. They moved to New York City. Uh, they were like the, the founder was uh, training for the New York City Marathon, and you know his goal he he was looking around for for some sort of um, you know nutrition like supplement that would that would be like what he needed to to power him through his training and he really couldn't find what he was looking for on the market um you know having uh you know products that are full of like extra stuff that you that you don't really need and uh, that aren't that weren't dialed into his specific uh you know caloric needs as an athlete and so he just started to he saw you know that problem and 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 decided to solve it on you know on his own i think he consulted uh, you know, some dietitians and some uh, doctors within that a- in that area with expertise in nutrition and said, hey, you know, what's what's kind of the optimal optimal formula for me? Um, and so the, the idea of Pure was kind of born uh, and in terms of 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 creating uh, nutrition products that are optimized to individual athletes needs and needs and using their personal, uh, you know, data, uh, whether it be Strava or Peloton, 
uh, or whatever uh, to to kind of help determine uh, what formula is right for that individual athlete. Yeah, I haven't received mine mine yet, but I filled out the questionnaire, and it, you can sync up your Strava. I didn't know you could do Peloton. My wife will be very excited to hear that. But so what? And then you ask some questions about how much exercise and what type of exercise. So what can I expect to get in the mail here? And I guess days or maybe today even. Yeah, you'll probably get it soon. Uh, you know, you'll get something, you'll get a, uh, you know, your, your product, which you'll then, you know, it's very easy. You mix, you follow the measuring instructions and mix it with water, like other products, you know, that, that are similar. But I think the big difference is, you know, that it's really, it's the nutrition facts on the label, as you will see, are uh, for you specifically. Well, then it will say your name on it. You know, it will, it will have, you know, nutrition facts that are, are unique to that individual product. And, um, you know, has, you know, the correct ratios of carbs and protein um, to fit your needs. And, you know, for the pre formulas, you can you can add caffeine, uh, you know, there's just different ways to customize it uh, to fit uh, your specific needs. And recognizing like, you know, the needs that you have now as, as, an, as a runner are different, maybe than when you were competing in the marathon years ago and, and really kind of kind of burning the candles at both ends and, and needing like a lot, you know, a lot to, to replenish you. Um, this will hopefully kind of bridge that gap for you and, and help you just be, you know, a, a better total athlete and, and a better nourished athlete. Yeah. I mean, I assume an athlete who runs maybe 20 miles a week needs a lot different stuff than an athlete running 20 miles a day. Exactly. That's some of the basic concept of this, right? Exactly. Yep. Well, cool. Thank you. And we appreciate it. And everybody can save 20% off their first order at Pure. There's a W in there, P-W-U-R-E.com. Link in the show notes. Use code NEXTLEVEL to save 20% off. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, thanks, Walden. So, Robert, you have a knack for cutting through the bullshit. And there was a lot of performances over the weekend, over the past, since we've convened on this podcast. What stood out to you? What do you want to talk about? What excited you? And what do you think is just eh, noise? Well, I think maybe we should start with the big theme overall. I mean, we can get into the specifics of these shows, I, of these performances. But when I see these crazy performances, whether it's a triple jump world record, some high school girl running 202, a college girl running 201, um, a lot of people who are listening to this podcast probably just finished up the Robert Brand podcast, a, a college guy running 2740. I think, wait a minute, why is everybody knocking it out of the park in December and January? This doesn't make any sense. What is different from now, from past years? And I immediately think about it from a coaching standpoint, from a scientific standpoint. And I'm not going to go to the, the down the PED route. Um, I, I don't think that's the answer. But I do think that there's got to be a, a commonality into this. And maybe all these people aren't. But two things jump out to my mind. One super spikes. You know, I loved listening to the Robert Brandt interview, Weldon. Thanks for having him on. It was very entertaining. It was informative. It kind of um, reminded me of back when you went all in and running 20 years ago. But then I'm, I'm kind of thinking, wait a minute, this guy makes a big break th breakthrough because, you know, he's a 60 year senior wearing cheater shoes. I mean, I'm kind of kidding, but I think Probably half of his performance gains are the shoes. Another half are altitude. And, you know, he's healthy. But I, I was thinking, one, this is crazy. We're having crazy performances in, 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 in these shoes, and you can't even get them. This is what I talked about in last week's podcast. I cannot buy these shoes 
for my guy who's trying to run this sub 210 marathon in Europe. Robert Brandt's having to, apparently some kid who went to Old, to old Miss or what school is it, John? He bought up all the dragonflies in the country and has them in his dorm room and is selling them for a profit. So if you want to run fast, you better call the better call the guy an old man. Otherwise, you have no chance. I mean, I have to admit that's a pretty genius scheme, to be honest. So I hope it, I don't think it's an NCAA violation. I hope it's not, but uh, it's pretty pretty. Small. Okay, and I'm sure someone's going to write in, tell me these high school girls weren't wearing it. So we can get into the specifics of these performances. But that was my one thought. But then I thought about it a little bit, and I thought, you know what? What could be explaining these amazing performances? Another, thing, I thought, well, it could be COVID. One, everyone's focused. They haven't been able to race for a long time, so maybe they're super excited to race. But two, it reminded me again, what are college kids not doing right now? I guess a lot of the performances were high schoolers this week. But people aren't going to the bars. People aren't drinking. People aren't partying. I think that could be a huge part of it, and I'm dead serious. When Weldon had his big breakthrough, everyone's like, oh, he moved to altitude. I'm like, yes, he did, but he also moved out of D.C. There was no nightlife in Flagstaff. He didn't go out on the weekends. Same thing with Matt Downing. Matt Downing lived in D.C., wasn't doing very well. He left and went to Wisconsin. He was in, in, in the D.C. area with Weldon. Those guys would go out on the weekends, have a good time. He moves out to Wisconsin, stops partying as much, and has a big breakthrough. So I do think that the COVID may be making people live a more cloistered lifestyle in, in, in producing these performances. That's my take of the week, but let's get into the specifics now. Well, Robert, I do think there's one thing you left out of that, and I think your second point is is closer to the truth than the, the shoes, but I do think, expect the shoes to take on a major role later this year. I think the one thing is we haven't seen a lot of these athletes compete for a long time. So a thing, Mo, remember 2019, she bursts on the scene, wins USA indoors, uh, is a big star. Last year, she raced indoors, but her race on... Over the weekend, where she ran 201, it was a, a PR by about a tenth of a second overall, and she's number five now indoors in NCAA history. Well, she missed the entire 2020 outdoor season. She didn't race. So is it really a shock that a woman who ran 201 the summer after her junior year in high school is now running 201 as a college freshman? I don't think so. It's just we didn't see that progression that she had maybe over the summer of 2020 with race results. And now these athletes have all made this tr jump in training and it's going to start translating to the track. We're going to see new stars emerge or old stars get even faster. Like I think Mo. It's not everyone may know who I think Mo is. We've got a lot of European visitors. She's a high, she's a college freshman at Texas A&M university. She just ran her first college race. Yeah. At first glance, her, her race reminded me of Donovan Brazier a few years ago. He also went to Texas A&M. Um, he opened up at 145.93 around this time of the year in 2016. Um, but then I thought about it. It's not quite the same thing because you said it. When Brazier ran 145.93, that was a big PR for him. For Mo, it's what? Just a tiny PR, like a tenth of a second or something like that. So Brazier ran 148.61 as a junior in, in high school, 147.55 as, as a senior. Then he runs 145.93 as a freshman. People are like, whoa, what's going on? So that was shocking, but now we, people have, we realized, okay, the Texas A&M 800 crew normally opens up pretty fast. Um, the interesting thing about Brazier was he then sort of struggled for the rest of the year, didn't make the NCAA indoor final, um, was only third at SEC's outdoors. So you're kind of thinking, wow, he peaked in January until, wait, Oh, wait, he runs 143.55 and wins the NCAA outdoor meet. So He was, <laughs> he was only third at SECs that year? Yeah. That's crazy. So we'll see what happens with, with the thing, Mo. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I don't think that 
I kind of disagree with the take that she looked amazing and the last lap was so 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 easy. Some people were saying that. I mean, she ran a slight negative split, so I think she can run faster moving forward. But it, no, it doesn't shock me what she did because she's incredibly good. But for any woman that age, I think it's great to see them PRing because John remembers it well. I've told the story before. The moment, the year that Mary Kane ran, won the World Juniors in the 3000, before that calendar year was over, I said, John, I'm worried about her. And he said, why? I'm like, look at her PR. She did not PR this year. And John's like, oh, but she was focused on World Juniors. I said, I don't care. When a teenage girl is not PRing, most teenagers are PRing just naturally because they're maturing, um, particularly on the boys' side. That makes me nervous. So good for a thing, though. Yes, I, the negative split. I mean, I thought she actually looked pretty good on that last lap because she won the race by eight seconds. 60.7, 60.3 for the last lap. I mean, I think the collegiate record, she only missed it by a few tenths of a second. It's two flat point six nine by Texas A&M's Jasmine Frey. So I think she could get that. One other thing I was interested about that meet, so Texas A&M, they've also got a couple star freshman guys. Uh, they have Brandon Miller, who he ran 149 the summer after his, his freshman year of high school. Uh, I don't think he ever got much faster than that, but obviously 149 is a high schooler, no matter when you run it, you're pretty talented. And then they have Alan Clay, who was the 2019 Japanese senior champion. He ran 146 uh, after his junior year of high school that year. And they ran the 800 as well. And But they, they went 1-2, but it was only 150 and 151. I don't know if I should... I, my expectations were blown away because of how well a thing Mo ran, but... I was kind of interested to see what they did. They didn't They didn't blow it out of the pot, but they did go one, two. Wait, I'm going to show my ignorance here. A guy named Alan Clay was the Japanese champion? Yes. It doesn't sound very Japanese to me, John. Japanese are pretty closed society. Yeah, I, well, I believe his full name is Alan Tatsunami Clay. I don't know what his backstory is, but I can tell you he is Japanese and he did win the Japanese title. I mean, they have a couple... Oscar Cambridge is one of their sprinters. That's not a Japanese name. I mean, it, it does happen. It's just, I agree, it's not as common as in the United States to have a, a name that's sort of... They have naming costumes and it's a little unorthodox. But yeah, Alan Clay is the name. Keep an eye on him. Y'all do realize when they don't generally don't have a Japanese-sounding name, they generally have one parent, probably normally the male parent, who is not a Japanese... Not from Japan originally, so this is an open society. People from other countries go there and have children sometimes. Yes, no, I understand how this all works. Michael Norman has some Japanese ancestry, and he doesn't have a Japanese last name, so it's it's not as crazy as Weldon makes it sound like. Okay, in terms of these performances, I mean, Robert kind of pushed me somewhere I hadn't even thought about. It's like, oh, some high schoolers are running fast. We got some collegiate athletes running fast. World record in the triple jump. My initial thought was like, wow, track is back. Despite COVID-19, like we can have track meets. We're having sporting events throughout the world. Sorry, New York Times. We need the Olympics to go on. That was my initial thing. And then Robert threw the thing out there about the shoes. And I was like, oh, gosh, I don't want to make too many conclusions from just a few data points. But it's going to be something we have to be aware of this year. So I guess I can't criticize Robert too much about it. But that brings me to the audio of the week. John, you're asking, do we check the audio voicemail? Not as often as we should. And here's an audio clip in the letsrun.com voicemail. You can reach us always if you want to leave voicemail. 844-LETS-RUN. 
That's 844. Robert, what's the number? 844-538-7786. If you want to reach my cell phone, hit extension 3. Extension 7 will take you straight to voicemail, the secret voicemail for the podcast. Or you can email the show, pod at letsrun.com. All right, here we go. Some exclusive Let's Run voicemail audio. I modulated this person's voice so he or she would not be recognized. brother as well just had an observation about the phoenix activities wondering if there was any blood testing uh got a bad smell about it with some 1420 guys running 209 doesn't feel right i don't care how much the shoes help she's saying bro later have a good christmas so there you have it first of all a big shout out to ben rosario and everyone who put on the Marathon Project. You put on a great event and people are accusing your athletes of blood doping at it. And one, okay, this one I will shoot down for sure. Grand conspiracies are very hard to pull off. So what, all of these athletes who ran 209, we had a bunch. I can't remember the number, but weren't Seven. there like, a, I'm about to say 11. Not all of them are 14, 20 guys, but like they all secretly got together and independently blood doped and just showed up at this race. No, better explanation for that one is the shoes. So I don't know. I think we need a few more data points before we make grand conclusions about what's going on. Big picture for me. I'm really glad track and field is back. We have big professional meet this weekend, correct, John? Is it this weekend? American Track League. Meet one. I believe there's also a meet Dave Milner's putting on in Birmingham, Alabama as well. But yes, ESPN, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, American Track League, meet one from Fayetteville, Arkansas. And we'll make an announcement. We're making this announcement for the official, this is an official, the first ever official Let's Run.com announcement. Yes, I'll make the announcement for us. We may be exposed as frauds, but neither Weldon, myself, or Jonathan Galt will be watching the American Track Meet live our fandom only goes so far it's going to be going up live it's on espn so folks if you're all into track you can watch it but we are also nfl football fans we will be watching i think the nfc championship game john is that correct i mean tom brady against aaron Rodgers. even i like track but yeah i'm gonna watch that and i'll watch the catch up on dvr we'll tape it maybe during the commercial breaks we'll flip over so don't hold it against us it's full disclosure here folks we don't hide a lot of hosts they lie to you they act like you know, whatever. Full disclosure, open book here. So I hope that me. I think it's great. It probably helped them actually get the meet on TV. The fact that you know a lot of people would be focused on the NFL during that time frame, and I don't feel that bad for selling out running for three three hours. Um, is it Saturday or Sunday, John? Because another just full disclosure here, folks. The inspiration for the 159.40 T-shirts and the 159.40 Asterix Goat T-shirts was I purchased. A TB12, a 12 goat T-shirt. So the Tom Brady, the man himself, was the inspiration. I got, I bought that shirt. And I thought, wait, I can make a Kipchoge shirt, and I have. And folks, if you haven't gotten your your shirt, why don't you head on over to the website, sign up for the VIP membership. We'll send you a shirt. You can support independent journalism. That's the way you got to do it. Go to letsrun.com/slash-subscribe. Let'srun.com/slash-subscribe. Um, it's just like a dollar fifty a week. Come on, we need the help. Thank you very much. All right, guys, a few more of these performances. Let's try to whip through them lightning round style here. Indoor world record in the triple jump. We don't need to spend too much. I mean, 
we're not really a triple jump heavy podcast here, but I do think it's interesting. It's by Hughes Fabri. I need to learn how to pronounce this guy's name. I'm sorry. Hughes Fabri Sango of Burkina Faso. First man ever over 18 meters indoors. He's coached by Teddy Tamgo, the Frenchman who was the previous world record holder. So that's pretty cool. And he's just the seventh man ever to break in 18 meters indoors or out. And I think it's very interesting for one main reason. That's because Christian Taylor, he has been the king of global championships over the last few years. He has won four straight and five of the last six, I believe. He's the two-time defending Olympic champion. Very few athletes, I think it's only nine men ever, have won three straight, four, yeah, three straight Olympic titles. And that's what Taylor is going for this summer in Tokyo. So I think this makes it really, really interesting. Christian Taylor, remember, he is the second farthest of all time. His PR is 1821. But he's got a real uh, a real problem on his hands here with Zango, and I think this makes for a very interesting competition. So looking forward to that battle in the triple jump. Robert said we're an open book. I'm just going to expose myself here because I'm pulling up on the other screen the inauguration, trying to make sure I have that being taped. So I'm not going to pretend to know who this guy was. John, I've never heard of this guy. Does that make me uninformed? I know Will Clay. I know Christian Taylor. I know Tamgo. It doesn't make you ill-informed, but the honestly, the first time I heard of him, the only reason I knew about him is because he meddled at Worlds in 2019, and it was weird because I was like, wait, some dude from Burkina Faso meddled in a, in a track and field event? And the, it's actually, Burkina Faso has never won a medal in any Olympic event. You know, all sports. So he sh- will likely be on the podium this summer in Tokyo and could be atop the podium if he keeps on this progression. So interesting for sure. Sorry, guys. I haven't really been listening to what you're seeing. I was looking for a video of this. I thought, wait a minute. Have we seen a video of this jump? Have you guys seen a video of this jump? Yes. Oh, you have? Yes. Okay. I thought perhaps it wasn't recorded and I was just, you know, John's the one who says if a cross-country meet is not broadcast live on the internet, it doesn't exist. So the fact that we hadn't seen a video in this day and age seems suspicious to me. I did find a video on YouTube. Very grainy, John. Very grainy. I mean, does someone not even have like a 2010 iPhone camera? Is it the same video you saw? But it, it was impressive. The guy was almost in the sand on the second phase. So I now am not worried this is fake news. You know, I can sniff out a fake marathon. People don't know what I'm referring to. Was it Abu Dhabi? I don't know how to say it, John. Abu Dhabi Marathon. You got it, Robert. Yeah. I was watching it one night, like one in the morning. The only person probably in the Western world watching it. And they finished. And I said, that race was short. I can tell. But I'm giving the world record to Mr. Zongo. Congratulations. And I'm worried he's going to win the gold. I think it would be a cool story. If Christian, I like Christian Taylor. He's so clutch. You know, he could win three in a row. That's a cool story. But if he loses to get... Burkina Faso, a world record, that would be pretty cool. I mean, an Olympic gold medal, that would be pretty cool, too. For sure. All right, another news item here. Robert, we were talking earlier about Mary Kane, and you said, you know, you could tell that she was in trouble when she wasn't when she stopped PRing back in 2014. And we've got another athlete who was also a high school phenom, like Mary, like Mary Kane. She actually broke Mary Kane's high school record in the 1500 meters back in 2015. She is not PR'd since, but she went on, after she ran that PR in 2015, she made the USA finals in 2016 and 2017, and she finished sixth and she finished fifth. And then 2018, 2019, she didn't make the final at USA's. This is Alexa Abramson I'm talking about, and I'm mentioning her because... She has changed coaches from her high school coach, 
Mike Hickey to Pete Julian. She's joining Zombie NOP. And she was a bit banged up in 2019 when she didn't make the final. She dealt with a foot injury. And then she didn't race at all last year. And she said that's because she had shoulder, shoulder surgery for a torn labrum in June. Went six weeks without running. Now, she stopped PRing in 2015. Does this mean we should forget about her, Robert? Or do you believe in her uh, joining Pete Julian and Zombie NOP? When you say, do I believe in her, what do you mean by that? Is she a contender to make the Olympics or make a world championship team at some point going forward? She's only 23 still. Yeah, it's amazing, A, that she's only 23. B, she did run 403.39 in 2015. So does she have an Olympic chance? I think she does. I'm not writing her off, but I'm not I'm not pleased that she hasn't PR'd in five-plus years. But, you know, the nice thing about her is if you look at her results, it's not like she's that far off of a PR. She went 403, then 406, 404, 407, 404 flat. So, I mean, she's still close to the same level of, of performance she was at her peak, whereas Mary Kane is, is, not, is, a, shadow, is a shadow of her former self. Um, so, uh, but am I pleased by this development and this coaching change? Absolutely, on every level possible. I, I think that it's 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 a great move for her, um, from a coaching standpoint. I mean, first of all, what have I been telling Evan Jager? Jager, when you plateau, when you're stuck in a rut, you need a new coach, and you don't have to make it personal. So this was I love her Instagram statement. She put up a thing saying she, the first paragraph is. You know, I'm very excited to announce that I have a big change in my own mind. I've started a new chapter in my running career. And she talks about how she wants training partners. So now she's going to have training partners and people of her ability to train with, which is great. But then the second paragraph is, I thought, really great. She gave a lot of praise to her old coach, Mike Hickey. I mean, he's guided her for all these years, done a great job with her, is a well-respected coach, interviews a lot of other coaches. I think he works for Dysat or something like that. Anyways, I cannot express gratitude for my previous coach, Michael Hickey. He coached me from a very young age into the young woman and athlete I am today. I am the person I am today because of his mentorship, and I am so blessed to have been under his tutelage. As everyone knows and comes to understand, their running experience is evolutionary, evolution of their training, mindset, modalities, training partners, all aiming to become the best athlete they can be. I was presented with opportunity and a new training environment to continue my evolution and adaptation, and I'm so thrilled to see where it takes me. I Actually, I wonder, she said she was presented this. I wonder if Nike said, you either go do this or we're not going to give you a contract. But I, I just loved everything about that, and I can just change the words. Evan Jager, I'm sure you're listening to the Robert, podcast. Robert, please stop, 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 stop. First of all, this is a great move. You need to shake it up, especially she's young. She had a great career with her high school coach, but she needs training partners. If you're kind of stuck in a rut, change the stimulus. Evan's not changing coaches this year. And hasn't he been pretty successful? What's his championship record? I agree, though. If he doesn't get an Olympic gold or sub-8 this year, he needs to change immediately next year. and Because Eugene will be next year. I guess Eugene was going to be next year, the year after the Olympics anyway. But then why not? I mean, I think Jerry and Evan have done a tremendous job together. But, I, yeah, I would love if... If they don't get the ultimate hardware, you're on the back half of your career. Like, why do you think doing the same thing is going to produce better results? It's not going to. Or maybe you just sort of write it out. Look at Tom Brady this year. It doesn't invalidate what he did with Bill Belichick. It's just a new chapter of life. If Evan wins gold under my tutelage, they'll always think of him as he's still being with Jerry. I'll be the Tampa Bay. I'll be the Bruce Arians of his career.
I mean, I'm starting to just think I need to start rooting for Evan Diego to prove how stupid this take is, that he needs to leave Jerry Schumacher, one of the most successful distance running coaches in American history. The guy who took a white guy, I mean, no, no disrespect to Evan, who obviously worked his ass off to get there, but some white guy took on the Kenyans and started beating them. He got silver. He got two medals at global championships, and you guys think, oh, he needs to leave Jerry because he's not good enough. The fact that Evan, some white guy from America is on the podium in the steeple, which was dominated by the Kenyans forever, is ridiculous. You know, So I don't think he should be leaving. But anyway, Alexa Everson, I do agree with you guys. I think it's a good move for her. It's going to be interesting. I actually am curious how many training partners she'll actually have right now because that group, I mean, Jessica Hull, as far as I know, was back in Australia. Maybe she's back in Portland now. Is Coco in Portland right now? Je- Shannon Robery spends a lot of time in San Francisco. Like, I'm just curious. Like, Raven Rogers doesn't seem like she'd be training that much with Everimson. Will she actually have people to train with in that group? But I do think it's a good atmosphere for her because I don't know how many guys were in her group before, but I'm guessing there's going to be more people with Julian. He's a good coach. I I do think it'll be interesting to watch how she develops. I think the issue for her is women's 1500. It's going to be freaking hard to make that team. I mean, Houlihan's a lock. I think Jenny Simpson's close to a lock. You've got Ellie Perrier. I just, I mean, that's three right there. And you've got to, you know, assuming Perrier runs the 1500. Now, let's move on. You know, we've got more distance results to get to here. Selmon Borrega. Do you guys see this result? Selmon Borrega, the silver medalist at the World Championships in 2019 in the 5,000 meters. He ran 27.58 at 7,700 feet of elevation in Addis Ababa. Now, how good is that? Well, if you use the NCAA conversion formula, which uh, the RaceTime app is the one I use to make these conversions, they convert it to a 26.13, which, as you guys can tell, is it's only two seconds off the world record. I don't think it's quite worth that because it doesn't quite take into account guys like Borrego who were born, live their whole lives at altitude. But... Still, 27.58 in January, you know, an elevate, like, could you imagine running 27.58 Weldon at a place 700 feet higher than Flagstaff? That's pretty absurd. Wait, how many feet higher? 700 feet higher than Flagstaff. Okay. Well, so he's only eight seconds faster than me. Uh, I feel pretty good, actually, <laughs> the more I think about it. This is fake news. I thought fake news was going away in 35 minutes. Maybe it's coming back because Donald Trump fought fake news. But John, this altitude stuff, I don't, if you're born at altitude and grew up there, I'd I throw out the conversions. Nice run. How many seconds did he win by? How, how far back was second place? I guess is the real question. I think it was like seven seconds. Oh, so. Guys, guys, guys. I was going to bring this up as my performance of the week. I'm, I'm upset that John did not put it in the show intro. This was amazing. John's talking about the race time app. Why don't you just use the NCA calculator, which I have on my HP Spectre computer. Yeah, I, I didn't download it. I wasn't a college coach in the 2000s, Robert. Sorry. Okay, 27.58.5. He wins by 6.6 seconds. 28.05.1 was second. That was Andamalak Bella, who's one of the top half marathoners in the world. That's the guy that's been first or second in New Delhi each of the last four years, fifth at World Championships this year. Got like a 58-minute half marathon PB. Um, he beat Gaia Adoy, who's a 2.0 three marathoner one time 20346 also 20442 beat him by 25 seconds and it's not like we know that Gaia Adoli we actually we know both these guys were in shape one of them was just fifth at world championship world half and Gaia Adoli well he ran 6050 at world half so that's not great 
Then he Are you going to give me this conversion here, Robert? You're teasing me. And you, I'm you just saying, look who he beat. For some reason, Ethiopia held this race, and they wanted to... They invited like 12 people or something, and they want to get it down to like half. They want to get it down to like the top six, right, to try out for the Olympics. Like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Ethiopians, you don't understand that. Like, you just want to have one tryout race, and then whoever's fit is that day. You don't need to have like a pre-trial to get into the tryout race. It's kind Plus, of they didn't even include like Gebrewet wasn't there, and Yomif Kajelcha wasn't there because I think he's training out of the country. Like. Yeah, it just seems like a little... Maybe they just like, hey, we're going to have this race in January. Make sure you're in shape. They don't want these guys slacking off. As if these guys would be slacking off with an Olympics on the horizon. I don't know. It was cool to see, though. So wait, is your conversion the same as mine, Robert? Like, why are you, were you making a big deal about it? What does it come out to? Oh, it's the same. 2613. The actual okay, yeah, I use an app. It's actually a lot easier than using some computer program I have to download that's probably about 15 years old. Welcome to 2021. Tamara Toa was in this race. You guys remember him? 2017 Dubai winner. Actually, was he beat Kepchoge in London this year, sixth. He was 43 seconds back of the win in this one, 28-41. So. And we always like to talk about it. I feel like Shelby Houlihan's Olympic medal chances are a recurring topic on this podcast, and we're going to talk about it again because the other performance of note in this meet was Gudolf Sagai in the women's 1500. She won this race easily in 402.35 using the app. That converts all the way down to a 351. Now, again, I think you, that's not quite accurate, but good off guy. She's run 354. She beat Houlihan for the final medal in Doha, and this just shows she's in shape. She's ready to roll. I mean, it's, it's going to be tough for Houlihan to get that medal. Correct. There's no way Houlihan, if they, if they all had the same coaches, Houlihan is not beating Stefan Hassan. She's not beating Faith Kipyagin, and she's not beating Goodoff today. They're better runners than her. They're more talented than her, and they will they will beat her. Now, I don't totally trust the Ethiopians to get it right in the coaching standpoint. They're not, you know, Rich Kanal once told me, he's like, he represents, you know, now head of the Atlanta Track Club. He used to be an agent. He works for the Ethiopians. He's like, look, they're not that familiar with working with middle distance runners. There aren't that many of them. So... Um, you know, they could mess up the peak. And the other thing I'm wondering, John, is do we know, you sh- I should know this, but I don't, who is her sponsor? Adidas. Well, and that's what I'm, Houlihan, if she, again, could we have a Galen Rupp situation? She gets a medal, but I'm putting an asterisk next to it because this poor woman who's a better talent doesn't have the super spikes. So thank you, Sebco. The former Nike exec has now made it a free-for-all, once-for-all for the shoes. I was kind of happy that you could allow prototypes, but... I, I, I'm not really that happy about it now. If, if other people can't out, go out and buy these other shoes and at least to be on a level playing field. Well, first of all, yeah, they need to be available to all that sort of comes back. But Robert, Adidas is going to have a super spike by the Olympics. The math of this isn't that hard. The, the math isn't? Why did it take them three years to get a super shoe on the roads? I'm very confident Adidas will have a super spike by the Olympics. They probably already have one. They already have a shoe in, on the roads that may be better than the Nike site. I don't know, spike shoe, whatever, non-spike, whatever it is. Let's just stop doing an infomercial for Nike. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, Weldon. I bet they have an answer. They're actually talking... Well, Robert, or I was going to mention Nick Willis, his accomplishment. Spe- well, no, no. Speaking of, speaking of infomercial for Nike, J- John, you pride yourself on your honesty. John's the guy that will, will he'll turn down free trips from like people want to fly us to a race, and John's like, no, no, it would violate my journalistic integrity. People at Sports Illustrated would never do that. Meanwhile, Sports Illustrated puts like 
high schoolers on the cover because they're sponsored by Gatorade or something. So John, John views himself like many of the elite classes, a man above reproach. But John, we need to get a full disclosure. I'm going to ask you this question. I want an honest answer. Just say it. John, I asked John the other day off air. I said, John, the 159.40 asterisk t-shirts are in. Do you want me to send you one? And he said, no, I do not. I do not want one. So I thought, wow, maybe John's being paid on the side by Nike. John, are you paid by Nike to be a pro Nike person on this podcast? No, I'm not. The reason I didn't want the shirt, which is ridiculously comfortable, by the way. I, I mean, I don't fault anyone who wants it, but I already have the GOAT t-shirt, 159.40, and I already have the Let's Run t-shirt. I like how both of them look, and I don't... My memories of the Ineos 159 challenge are very positive, and that's what I want my wardrobe to reflect. I don't view it... Like, we already know it's not the official world record. I don't think we need to throw it out there in people's faces with this t-shirt you've designed. Now, you might be listening and you might think differently from me. You might have a little subversive streak in you. You might have a little Rojo, you know, rant in you. And that's fine. That's what who the shirt's for. Me, I like the red regular GOAT t-shirt, which you can also get. I think that one's the superior uh, design for what I'm looking for. I thought it might be an environmental reason, John. You wanted to keep your, your, your impact down. You could You could send it back to me. We could exchange them out. And then I could sell your shirt used. I'm sure a lot of women would bid on it and maybe smell the Jonathan Galt. Musk. What? <laughs> <laughs> the what is going world... on here? What is going on here? Sorry, I was distracted. I'm, uh, you guys are talking about merchandise. And meanwhile, I'm, I'm looking at the mask and I, I'm watching the, the uh, inauguration on the big screen. And Nancy Pelosi had a mask called Donna Lewis on it. I'm like, oh, I bet you that one's expensive. And I Googled it and the website's crashed. So this might be a new line of apparel. Maybe we should have Let'sRun.com mask. Wow. I thought if anyone was in danger of checking out mentally from the podcast to watch the inauguration of our new president, I thought it would be me. No, instead it's Weldon. Can't focus on the running. Maybe we'll, we'll try and find something else that'll pique your interest. How about this? Nick Willis. I wanted to get to this because we talked about the spikes. Nick Willis had an interesting tweet a few weeks ago where he was talking about the New Balance spikes. He's like, these are amazing. It's, I thought the Jasaris I was running in 2000, they're pretty much comparable to what I was running in 2020. Now he's got these New Balance spikes. He's like, they make such a difference. Well, Nick Willis, on Tuesday night in Florida, he ran 358, and that was his 19th year in a row breaking four. That is an all-time record. It's absolutely amazing. His first time going under four was in February of 2003 at the Mayo Invitational at Notre Dame. And he did it again in Claremont. I didn't realize Claremont was allowed to host races above 400 meters, but apparently they do. And he runs 358. He was wearing the New Balance spikes. I, I'd be interested to see if Nick thought, you know, does he think he could break four if he didn't have these new super spikes? I don't want to, you know, cheapen his accomplishment or anything because obviously it's awesome. Congrats to him. But I, f I did find that was interesting. And I do also look like I look back at his old results. So Nick ran 401 in 2001 and 343 for 1500. And in 2002, he ran 342 for 1500. If he had just gotten under one of those years, we'd be looking at a 20 year streak right now of sub fours. So it's kind of think you know crazy to think about that. But did you guys have any other thoughts on Nick Willis and this, you know, crazy uh streak he had going well brought back fond memories i actually was on my phone you know google photos archives everything like some of the first digital photos i have are from 2002 
It was the main distance classic. Nick was there. I think this is before he started Michigan. John, what year did he first do it, you said? 2003, right? His first sub three was as a freshman at Michigan in 2000. Sorry, first sub four was 2003. So his freshman year was 2002, 2003. Yeah, so it was the summer of 2002 before he started. He was running over here. Somehow he had heard of Let's Run. He wanted his picture taken with me and Weldon, which was cool. But I have, his, I have a photos of Nick Willis from, from 2002. Weldon, can we put photos in the show notes? We could share a rare photo of Nick Willis from 2002 as a young man. Yes, yeah, so we can put a link to it for sure. We, we had boots on the ground at this meet. My college roommate went to this thing. He works for the hospital that I guess owns the track or it's at their facility or something. So he knew about this meet. And, and first he inquired because, you know, he's my age in his 40s and wanted to know if like he could go enter it. So we emailed him. And he's like, hey, there's an elite only meet at, in Florida. So congrats to Nick. And... I mean, that's one of Nick's benefits, right? He can pick whatever shoes he wants to because his, his only sponsorship now is apparel with Tracksmith. So that's not his only sponsorship. I'm assuming he's being sponsored by New Balance, too. I can ask him. I don't think he is. I think he just picks the New Balance because he thinks they're the best. You think he paid for those shoes? You think Nick Willis went out and bought those he shoes? He might have got caught by them 100. or Tracksmith might have you... covered them. But I don't think they're... I don't think he's being sponsored by New Balance. He's, he made this whole thing about, I'm turning amateur. That's the whole marketing campaign. You think they're just going to immediately say, oh, New Balance has some new sexy spikes. Let's, uh, I'm actually being paid by them now. So when John takes a free trip, that violates his journalistic integrity. He can't do that. But when Nick Willis takes free spikes, that doesn't mean he's sponsored by them. He's just taking free gear. He might have paid for them. We don't know. I hope he didn't pay for them, but he's not allowed to go get a shoe sponsorship now too. Like that's against the ethos. I hope someone's shoe sponsors him as well. Like that's the sort of benefit of you with an apparel company. You then can get a shoe sponsor separately. No, that, all right. First of all, it's not like illegal. Obviously you can have a sponsor if you want, but their whole marketing campaign when he started was he's a full-time employee. Now he's turning amateur amateur. This isn't, you know, he's not sponsored. He can pick any gear he wants. And you think he's just going to go for the first spike he comes across and say, Oh, now I'm, a, I'm, you know, being sponsored again. I don't think so. I don't think this, I mean, we need to talk to Nick. He'll set the whole arrangement straight, but I don't know. I think it's just, it would be a weird time to after making this whole hype about turning amateur to immediately accept an endorsement deal, like within months of the next year. The amateur comments, I don't want to be an infomercial for Tracksmith, although I love the gear, but amateur, I mean, Matt Taylor wrote an article about it. It comes from the Latin word amo, which means for the love. It doesn't mean that you, you can't be paid. It's just they're celebrating people who do it for the love of the sport, and I think that applies to Nick, whether he's being paid by New Balance or not. Okay. Uh, one other interesting stat. I mean, there are a bunch of stats that you can break down. I had a quick real little recap article of Nick's accomplishment. One I found, this one sort of gets to how US-centric the mile distance is, though. I was like, after he broke four, I was like, okay, I'm going to go through. I'm going to look at all his sub-fours. I, sure I, I bet he did it in a bunch of countries and all this stuff. It would be really interesting to see the stats. So... Nick Willis, he's broken 48 times to total in his career. He's only done it in four countries. And 36 of the 48, so 75%, were in the United States, uh, which I thought, you know, I guess shouldn't be surprised, but I just kind of drills how, home how mile-obsessed the U.S. are. It's the United States is 36. He had six back home in New Zealand, three in the United Kingdom, and three in Norway at the Bizlight Games. And that's it. Like most other meets, I think, just run the 1500 now. Because I was looking at, like, Steve Scott has the all time record for sub fours. I think it's like 135. 
And that's pretty much an unbreakable record because just no one races the mile. Unless you were just running every week indoors in the US, that record's probably going to stand forever for Steve Scott. All right, let's move on. We've got some more high school performances I wanted to talk about. Weldon seems to be locked into the inauguration right now. National Anthem has been sung. Any guesses on who sung it? Is Diana Ross still alive? I'm not sure about the answer to that one. I'm going to guess Diana Ross. I think she died. Lady Gaga, Lady Gaga, everyone. Oh, Lady Gaga. That's a good choice. I like Lady Gaga. Diana Ross is 76, alive and kicking. Glad to hear it. All right. Damn it. I knew she was like on TV like last week. I swear I saw her and I still said she was dead. You saw her on TV last week and you assumed she died in the interim? Well, well that's pretty morbid. Well, then. No. The, once I said it, I'm like, wait, didn't I see her doing something or speak out about something? But then I'm like, no, I think she's dead. You know, 50-50. Schrodinger's, Schrodinger's singer. Okay. Uh, high school action. There was a big meet in Virginia. Virginia Beach has this new, you know, top facility that's going to be hosting NCAA indoors in a few years. And there were some great races in the 800 and the, the two mile. Now the two mile, we got this showdown, Bryn Brown and Sydney Thorvaldson. Remember they raced against each other at the high school national invite in cross country in Lubbock last month. Sydney Thorvaldson won that one. And she won again here, 947 to 951. So this is one of the fastest races ever. It's this number two and number three times all time for high schoolers in the full two mile. Now, if you use the converted 3K 3200 list, it's number five and number seven all time. Still really impressive stuff by Thorvaldson and Brown there. So that was pretty interesting. And then the 800, they had now they had this world under 20 record attempt in the four by eight. There was a very high powered 800. And the next day they all came back and joined forces to break this record. I'm not really interested in this record. Like no one really knows or cares about the world under 20 four by 800 relay record. But I, what I am interested in is the race the day before, which was very impressive. Juliet Whitaker, she's only a junior from Maryland, ran 202.07 to win that. Sophia Gararian, who is a sophomore, ran 203 in third in second place. And then Royzen Willis ran 204 in third place. So that's really impressive to have three high school girls all under 205. And Whitaker, who was the winner, she was just 29 hundredths off of the high school record of 201.78 by Sammy Watson. And again, she's only a junior. So some real talent at this meet in Virginia. John, I got to disagree with you here. First of all, very impressive by these young ladies. I mean, all the top four are extremely talented. And the 17 year old running 202 flat is incredible. Although, a 15 and a half year old running 20396 might even be equally as impressive but i was not i was i thought that to me one of the coolest things was the 4 by 8 world record yes the record was soft given their prs they actually only beat it by 1 second or by less than a second because the fourth person on the relay bailey goggins got hurt so after running 207 she could only run 220 on the relay but they were obviously going to get the record assuming they didn't fall down or somebody was injured which almost didn't happen but i thought it was really cool that Four elite, super elite high schoolers, A, can race each other on day one, and then B, team up as a team on day two. So I just thought it was a cool thing, like, for them to A, to get to be, they're so elite to get to the experience of being on a team, but B, just to do something together and realize, like, hey, we need to get along. We need to, st- I mean, I don't want to make a, some grand politics thing, but it used to be that people of different stripes and rivals and competitors came together you know, all the time in all walks of life. And now, because of the internet, because of the algorithms, 
because of the cable channels, like you're siloed off in your own world and you view everybody as a, as a, as a, as a thing. So I thought this was a cool story for high schoolers, to, to, to be honest, that, that they would team up a day after. I like that. I mean, I, I also, I do like some rivalry between uh, our athletes. I think at the professional level, that's more appropriate. High school, no, it's it's certainly nice to see them to, got, to come together. I think that's a fair point. But I'm usually against just contrived records and world under 20, four by eight, is about as contrived as it gets. But, you know, in general, what I think of these times, I don't know. Again, I think that projecting too much on a teenage high school girl is a huge mistake. How many times are we going to see this? And one thing that people seem to have got to remember is why are people running so fast? Because back in the day, let's be honest, like people didn't go to this huge invitationals in Virginia. Everyone in the country show up at the end of January. I mean, this didn't happen at all. It might happen once a season at the end of the season outdoors and you got terrible weather because it was in the middle of the day. You certainly didn't have it multiple times. I mean, Thorvaldson and Brown just raced a few weeks ago or a few months ago in Texas. So you have it happening multiple times all over the country, even in the midst of a global pandemic, this is still happening. So, and I don't have a problem with high schoolers. Again, COVID is not dangerous for young people. It's probably still less dangerous than the flu. People don't like to hear that, but it's probably true. Now it can spread to older people. I understand that and kill them definitely. But um, you know, I'm not saying that these meets should not be going on. I'm just saying, like, think about it. Even during a global pandemic, we're getting all the the good people together. It just shows you how different high school running, thanks to technology and the internet, is than it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, it is pretty amazing to think about that. These sort of national high school meets are going on. Because 20 years ago, this meet didn't probably exist at all. Or there'd be, you might go to the armory one weekend. But now, even with COVID and everything, all these guys, guys and girls got together and raced. Okay, guys. There's one other high school race I wanted to talk about. Going to my secret sheet again, John. I don't think you realized that I had a secret note sheet so y'all could not see what I was going to be bringing up on the topic. I realized you printed something out and it made me realize how old you are that you're printing out show notes and going off of them instead of having a Google doc. But I, I did see you were reading off somewhat something. I'm like, why do you, how'd you do this? Update John update. Kamala Harris is now VP to Donald Trump. Donald Trump is still president. Harris is now the vice president. JLo is now singing. JLo now singing. I got a text. I got a text from my sister. She said I teared up watching Kamala take the oath of office. I mean, it's just, this is historic. This is awesome. First female vice president in the United States. What two hundred and forty-five year history? A two hundred and forty-four year. It's really awesome. I'm happy. Very happy. Robert, please what, give us the information from your secret sheet of all these meets that we didn't hear, hear about. John, the crowd looks smaller than at Trump's inauguration. Just an update. That was a big <laughs> point of contention. I would, I'm glad. If, I'm glad to hear that. Well then, given this uh, global pandemic that we're in the midst of. Okay, people. We hope we're not offending you with the politics talk. Seventy-five million voted for one guy, and eighty million voted for the other. So, whether you're the, if you're on that seventy-five, don't be upset. It's a nice thing that a woman, an immigrant's daughter, is vice president. Even if you wish somebody else was vice president, it's still a cool thing to celebrate. Anyways, at the are you aware of what happened at the Illawarra Track Challenge in Gwinnaville, New South Wales, Australia? I think that's where it was. Uh, a white guy ran a wind-aided sub-10. I'm not talking about the sprint action. I'm talking about the distance action. 
And I was very impressed by the fact that 15-year-old Morgan Stewart finished in third place. Did a lot of Imogen? Are you trying to say the word Imogen? Yes. I don't know. I-M-O-G-E-N. Imogen. Yeah, that's, that's Imogen. She ran 438.15 for the full mile. Again, I'm telling us not to hype up teenagers on the women's side, but I am doing that here. Um, this is, it, it's fascinating. Um, this woman is been in the news. She's been on Let's Run since she was like eight or nine years old. Or I don't know if on Let's Run, but she's been in the news. She set a world record for 1K at age eight. At age nine, she set world records for 800 meters and 1500 meters. And now she's still going strong at age 15. Um, her mother, Belinda Martin, was, you know, a pretty good New Zealand runner, or, or excuse me, Australian runner. And the whole family is in on the game. The dad is the coach, and they have a brother. His name is Kobe, I think. They have a lot of guys named Kobe in Australia. One of them is Kobe Bryant. But anyways, he's 12. He ran 447 mile in the same meet. Isn't that ridiculous? 447 as a 12-year-old? My God. Yeah. I mean, 438 as a 15-year-old girl is also ridiculous. Congrats. Mom was actually... So dad's name is Owen. So mom was actually in there. So the 15-year-old girl runs 438. Mom runs 459 in the same race. Has there ever been a race where mom and father, mother and daughter both broke five in the mile before? We need to get that. Who's the World Athletic Stat guy that knows everything? John Mokeen. We need to see if he can figure that out. Someone on Let's Run, and there's a thread about it. Maybe we should put the thread in the show notes. Someone on Let's Run said that the grandmother was also in the race and she broke six. Now, I think they were joking, but how cool would that be? I like posted on the thread. I'm like, I assume you're joking and no one's responded. So I'm choosing to believe that. That's awesome. So the, the Stewart family is amazing. Dad's the coach. I wonder how fast dad was. If anyone knows, email me. Robert at let's run.com Robert at let's run.com. So those are the good stories for the week. I think, are we going to get to the bad story of the week? Of the United States constitution of the United States. So help you God. So help me God. Congratulations, Mr. Thank President. Woo! official, ladies and gentlemen, Joseph Biden, the 46th president of the United States. Those words sound sweet. Well done. So was this a coup? Wasn't this supposed to happen at 12 noon and happened at 1150? I, I know. I thought I was like, we get finished by the podcast by noon. I'll be able to see the new guy get sworn in. 1149? I honestly, honestly, we think like, I was looking at the clock and I'm like, whoa, what's he doing up there? And I Googled and I'm like, are they trying to push him out a few minutes early? <laughs> And we all thought the same thing. And uh, New York Times, I don't know, though, the media can't trust any media these days. But uh, the New York Times used to be the most trusted face of journalism, said shortly before 12 p.m., Joseph Biden will be sworn in. So uh -huh. things went according to plan, apparently. Right wingers. Oh my God. Trump, when he gets his Twitter account back, he's going to be like, I was owed 10 minutes of the presidency. I demand to have it back. Or whatever. Right wingers. No, it's permanently gone. It's permanently oh, gone. <laughs> that's right. Right. I forgot about that. A little bit. I think, you know. Whatever. He doesn't have, he's not in control anymore. So. Right wingers, I got your back. The coup, they tried to get Trump out for four years. They've finally done it. 10 minutes too early, but 
Okay, actually, before we get to the negative stuff, one other thing, this just caught me out, my eye. I thought it was awesome. So I was looking at results on Twitter, and I saw this, like, Michigan tweeted out the results of some 3K they had at their home invite. And I was like, okay, you know, whatever. And I saw the winner's name, Tom Brady. So as if that wasn't good enough, Tom Brady runs for the University of Michigan, which is where the 43-year-old NFL star quarterback played football in the mid in the 1990s. And Tom Brady is actually good at running as well. I mean, 758 for a true sophomore, that, that's very impressive. Um, I don't know. I just got a real kick out of it. And I'm curious, like, we're getting to the point where people might be named for Tom Brady. Now, this this Tom Brady would have born, been born sometime in 2000 or 2001, which would have been Tom Brady's rookie year in the NFL. Not sure if his family were big Michigan fans and they named him after the quarterback or if they're just oblivious but i did enjoy seeing tom brady tear it up at this race he looked pretty good on that last lap and 758 is a sophomore this guy could be contending for ncaa titles i mean how awesome would that be if you know we've got tom brady winning super bowl seven and eight in the nfl and tom brady contending for ncaa titles in in cross country and indoor track john i think you're hyping up a little bit i think it's a cool story but this guy what impressed me more was like i was close to a 30 second pr so he did run 906 in high school. I don't think he's going to make I, John, I, I don't think he's going to be contending for NCAA titles. There's a long way from 758 to NCAA titles. Long way. All, all right. All right. I'm, I'm pumping his tires a little bit here, but 758 as a sophomore is very impressive. I think it's a good job. You, we could see him at the NCAAs down the line, I think. I don't think that's a huge stretch. So Weldon has left. I, I hope that's not because he's worried about our new president, the the, the direction our country's taken. Oh, he's back now, so maybe not. Robert, can we talk about some of the negative stuff? I mean, we've got Brianna Brianna Rollins, uh, Brianna Rollins McNeil. She has been suspended again this time for tampering. And if you remember, Brianna, she's the 2016 Olympic champion in the 100 meter hurdles. The year after that, she served a one-year ban for whereabouts failures. Didn't look like she was actually doping at the time or anything. One of them, I think she missed a test because she was attending a parade in her hometown. One of them, she actually missed a test to go to the White House and meet with Barack Obama You know, after the Olympics. But she got suspended for one year. And now she's been suspended. We don't know anything more other than it's you know she's being suspended provisionally for tampering she could be banned from five to eight years it, i mean it would essentially end her career uh i don't know i mean it's kind of what are you guys reactions to that well i'd like to see the details coming out but to me not good not good i mean tampering that to me sounds seems like it can, how can that be unintentional seems like you're trying to cover something up seems like you're doping so then i look back about the second i look back again if you test, po- particularly something like this, where there's no doubt, like if you, if you test positive for EPO or something like that, where there, you didn't, there's no way you inadvertently got in your system, I just think your whole career should be invalidated. This should be, who, who was saying that, John, recently? Someone couldn't believe Malcolm that, Gladwell that, said that, that on the Let's Run.com yes. podcast. I agree 100% with him. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, there's been some super fast hurdle times in, the, in recent years. That's all I'm going to say. But, you know, I... That was the negative I wanted to get to, but I really want to actually promote this as a positive in the sense of, well, I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, Sean Engel of the Telegraph, John, is that where he works? The Guardian. We don't know. Our friend Sean, he's a friend of the podcast, The Guardian. I'm not, 
if I was a British, I would know the difference between the Guardian and, and the Telegraph. Works for the Guardian, great journalist. He put out a tweet that went linked to his article, and this was amazing to me. This is both positive and negative to me. He was talking about how World Athletics spends close to like 10%, I think it's 12% of its budget on anti-doping. Can you imagine if the NFL did that? And he says the Athletics Integrity Unit was set up in April 2017. Since that time, they busted 66 Olympic and world medalists have served a doping ban. 66. That's amazing. So I was going to praise I, I was going to say this is positive, but folks, like we wonder why we question Galen Rupp or any medalist because look at this 66 Olympic track. Is this track and field only, John, or is this all sports? Track and field only. Is athletics integrity unit only for track and field? My God. Yes. So people think, oh, we harp on drugs too much. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, in and, and that article, he talked about, I mean, just think about from the last Olympics. You got Brianna McNeil. You've got the. Jemima Sumgong in the marathon, Ruth Jabet in the uh, steeplechase. So you've got three of the track gold medalists on the women's side busted already? Yep. What a joke. Why do we even be fans of the sport? John, folks, it's official. We will be starting letstalkfootball.com next week. Weldon, Jonathan, and me will be shutting down Let's Run. If you'd like to take it over from us, email the show. Is there any other negative news, John? I didn't, let me comment. With this Brianna McNeil thing, I just don't know what to think. I guess the first time you kind of give her the, the doubt, and this time you're like, bye, see you. And also, I, I don't study the hurdles that much, but didn't they... Didn't she just start like dropping really fast times? But I guess a bunch of hurdlers have done that uh, on the U.S. side. So that maybe that, I hate it when people condemn people for that. But it's just like if you've been suspended once, you better show up for your drug test. I don't have a lot of sympathy. I mean, I guess the facts will come out. But most drug tanks, I have very little sympathy or very little surprise. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think once you're on. Once you're busted once, you just need to be on high alert. I agree. I do want to see what the facts say about this case. So, yeah, provisionally suspended for now. We'll see. One thing, this, uh, Robert, let's go to you. I realized I, did, I dropped my one of my pieces of notes, John. When we were talking about Imogen, Imogen Stewart? Imogen. Imogen. John, being the male sexist that he is, was impressed with the brother ran 447 in the mile at age 12. Imogen ran at age 12, 919 for 3,000. What do you think is more impressive? 919 for a woman at age 12? Or 447 in the mile for a boy at age 12. I've got John Kellogg here. John, which is more impressive? John says 919. There you have it, folks. I agree. You want to be coached by Let'sRun.com genius. John Kellogg, go to Let'sRun.com slash coaching. I'm just thinking back to my career, Robert, and how long it took me to break 447. And, well, you know, (laughs) that... (laughs) Doing it at age 12 is pretty ridiculous. I think I ended up doing it on a relay leg in my sophomore year of high school, but it's it's, it's pretty tough, pretty impressive. All right, this isn't negative news, but it is news that I think was really important. This this dropped like right after we recorded our last podcast, but I think it's important enough that we discuss. And it's Arian Knighton. He is 16 years old. He ran 20.33 earlier this summer. And I remember seeing this video at the time, and I'm like... Oh my God, look at this guy. He's like 6'3", and he was racing a bunch of 15 and 16-year-olds, because again, he was 16, at an AAU meet. And 
it just looks like a man against boys. He's out there. He's striding longer and faster than everyone else. He just destroys them. He runs 20.33. Now, that is the second fastest ever by an under-18 athlete. The only guy who's gone faster is someone called Usain Bolt. And I was like, wow, I, I wonder what happens to this guy. Well, we have an answer. He's now midway through his junior year. You know, he hasn't really started his junior year of track. And he is signed with Adidas. This is a brand. They've invested in high school athletes before. They signed Allison Felix coming out of high school. They signed Noah Lyles, which at the time was, you know, a little bit of a gamble. Obviously, that has paid off in spades. They signed Drew Hunter. You know, now not every high school sprinter, turning pro, has had gone to a ton of success. But... I think it's very interesting. I've never seen a high school boy turn pro this early, you know, midway through his sophomore, midway through his junior year. But again, if you're running 20.33 wind legal at 16, you've obviously, you're insanely talented. So what do you guys think about this guy? You know, is this a good move for Adidas? Is it a good move for him? Are you excited by this Arian Knighton? Well, it's a good move for him for sure. Oh, no. I got to take it. I got to disagree with this. Well, he's getting paid, and he should get paid because he's a phenom. But did you guys know this guy's a football star? He had football offers from Alabama, Florida. He's a four-star recruit. I mean, again, we've already we've already pissed a bunch of people off by saying we're going to be watching the NFC Championship game instead of the, the Milan Track League. I said this on the message board. If I'm him, I don't think I can turn down football. I would go down to college and want to play football. You can still run track. I would demand to go to a school that lets me do both. Well, can't you be? Can he still play football in college? How does that work these days? You're allowed to have sponsorships, so how does that work? This might be the first test case. Because well, one, I didn't know. Like, can Nike just start signing fo- college football players, or Adidas, or Wazell? But is he still allowed to play football? Because you're allowed to be pro in one sport. Remember Jeremy Bloom? He was a Olympic. Although he had to give it up. He couldn't do it, actually. That's not a good example. But there's been a... Brandon Whedon, Russell Wilson, they played minor league baseball over the summer, and they were still eligible. It used to be you couldn't have the sponsorship contract, but I know that's changing with the NCAA rules, so it would be interesting to see if he's allowed to do that. But I assume it it's crazy as a sophomore when he did this, or going to be a junior. So if you're turning pro as a junior, you just need to make sure everything's taken care of, including your collegiate education. Because there's no guarantees, but 20.33 at 16, it's about as good as it gets. So he's got to be thinking, uh, I'm going to have a long professional career in track and field. But if not, you want everything taken care of. Yeah, I mean, I think you got to think sometimes about, like some people, I don't know, was there anyone who was criticizing Drew Hunter when he turned pro? Like, I feel like Drew Hunter, when you when they offer him so much money, I believe it was like, the number I heard was about six figures a year and pretty long-term deal. I mean, that was pretty obvious. You take that instead of going to college. I, I, don't, I, think, I, I don't think it's pretty obvious. I would encourage my child to go to college no matter what. Now, Drew's kind of getting the college experience, living with the guys in the house and making the videos in boulder but i i think college is like summer it's like learning how to be an adult i think it's a fun time it's a it's a great maturation process Um, i don't know so for me in this night case if he wants i i shouldn't send the football if he if he's if he's love his track all the more power to him but if he's just doing it simply for the money he potentially could make more money in football well, yeah, but I, I think it's amazing, Robert. The point here is a guy, a star track and field athlete 
and a star who's, you know, he's probably not as big a star in football, but he's a very good football player. He's chosen track over football. And this is pretty incredible that you would choose a, you know, sport that is not that popular with spectators with the most popular sport in the country. I think that's pretty crazy. And Robert, it's crazy you're advising him to go football because you can make more money. The odds of going to the NFL are so, so slim. You should know this. The Baltimore Ravens, your backup quarterback, was like phenom in, at Utah. Was Still went undrafted. I mean, it's so hard to make it to the NFL, so take the guaranteed money. We need to look into, though, if he, he'll still be allowed to play. Like, can he play even high school football? He's, you know... Or is that done now? Can he play I, college football? And Adidas might say, look, you're done with football. That's what I would say. Adidas, I would be like, hell no, that's a huge injury risk. That's, I put that in my contract. You can't play football anymore. Related to this, I was going to leak some audio from Robert from our conference call, but he sort of exposed himself earlier. The first audio was on the cheater shoes. But then Robert went off, you know, at the start of this podcast, he was saying how much he loves Robert Brandt. Here's some audio about turning pro and Robert Brandt that's somewhat relevant to this conversation. My advice to him is, Robert Brandt, do not devote the rest of your life to running. Please don't. You do not want to be 35 with no job prospects. You should definitely go for 2021. The nice thing for you is there's another Olympics in three years. Maybe you go through 2024. If you're not in the Olympics anymore in 2024, you need to quit and go into commercial real estate. You guys hear that? He did the at the end. Always. He even does it like in private conversations when he kind of has a somewhat controversial comment he does the okay let me let me explain this i'm not saying people are going to take this the wrong way i want robert brand to go pro i want him to try to make the olympics i want him to probably continue for three more years but i i think there's something to be said i was wrong about this do you guys remember a name by anybody by the name of chris lukasic john look up his stats chris lukasic okay so he was a 333 personal best robert in the 1500 meters that was back in 2006 his last results were from 2009. That year, he finished eighth at USA's in the 1500. And that was at age 25. Yep. This guy made the world championship team in, in, in 20, actually 24. He, 2004, he was fourth in the Olympic trials, made the Olympic team, made the world championship team in 2005. And then in 2008, he's 10th. So, you know, he's only at the time. 24 years of age at 2010. I mean, he was a phenom at 20, I and mean, he was really good at Georgetown. But basically walks away from the sport. And I remember thinking, what an idiot. I was thinking, this guy's still young. He could still do it. He could still make an Olympic team. But he realized his performances weren't going up. He didn't love it. What did he do? He's one of the first 10 employees at Airbnb. He's worth tens of millions of dollars now. So your perspective changes. When I was young, I was like, you should go for your dreams. Now that I'm older and worried about providing for a family, I'm like, you got to worry about money. So that's the thing, actually. There's been a lot of threads in Let's Run, and people are like, oh, you know, get married early and focus on your career. And then other people are like, no, follow your dreams. I think it's if you do one, you're always going to wonder if you didn't do the other. So that's human nature to go back and forth. So I'm not saying go for running, but I'm just saying the, the test case might want to be you could be a crystal case. Like, go for it for a short period of time and then move on. Steve Holman moved on and didn't look back and running. Bob Kennedy moved on, you know, you know, et cetera. Some of these people, you, you don't have to be hanging on at 39. Personal story. I remember being at the, let's see, 2000 Olympic trials, I guess. There's some off days in between. We went up to Lake Tahoe. I met the guru, Mark Wetmore, for the first time, the famed coach. And I heard a lot about him through Chris Lear, who was Robert's college roommate. 
Running for the Buffaloes is not out at this time, but Chris is writing a book on him. Or maybe it's out. I don't know when the book came out. And I'm talking to him. I'm like, hey, I'm friends with Chris. You know, I had this big breakthrough this year. Should I keep running? And he's like, oh, you? No. You're smart. You you went to Yale. Like, you're really smart. There's other stuff you could do with your life. And I was like, yeah, but I love it. And he told me this story about a guy he coached, I think, at Rutgers? Is that where he coached before? Seton Hall. Seton Hall. Seton Hall. And I thought this was fascinating coming from like the guy who's produced so many runners. And he said this guy calls him up every year. This guy came from an underprivileged family. And Wetmore had coached him to like, he was an 800 guy to say like, let's say like a 146. I'm just going to throw some time out there. And it really improved, improved two seconds his final year or something. It's great. And he's like, coach, you know, this is great. You know, next year when I'm still running, like we can, maybe I can make the trials or make the Olympics. I don't know what he's saying. And Mark's like, no, I won't be coaching you next year. And he's like, what? And he's like, yeah, you're never going to be at the top. Um, You're done. You know, you need to get on with your life. And Mark swears to me, he gets a call once a year from this guy. And all it is, is like the guy spouts some numbers. And it's the amount of his 401k and he hangs up the phone. And essentially he just says, you know, Mark's whole point was like, there's more to life than running. And that, but I, but I don't think the money analogy is the best one because money isn't the thing either. But there's a lot of, for running, you turn pro, a lot of people are giving up, possibly giving up money, you know, because at the time I was thinking I went to Stanford Business School and I sort of wonder, you know, what my life would have been like if I'd done that. Instead, I'm on a podcast with you guys influencing tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. That's how I view it. So do I owe my job to Mark Wetmore? Like without him, would you guys, would you have abandoned Let's Run.com and that wouldn't have been a job for me? Trying to be a billionaire now. I could like own all of the Let's no, Run. It's the opposite. We didn't, we didn't listen to Mark Wetmore. I, I remember actually when Mark told us this, I remember thinking, no, it's different though. Yes, we went to the Ivy League, so it's, we already have like security. We know that we can get a job down the road because we went to a good school. So you got to take into, into account your, your, you know, your situation and your family background and your job prospects now in 10 years. So I do think you're only young once. So I, I think pursue your dreams and your passions. But I, I just hope in the case of the sprinter, I hope he went pro because his love is track and field. Not because of the money. If he wants to play college football, I hope that he tries to do both. But th- there should be no regrets. You've got to do. You know, Robert Brand said it best. You make a decision, and you've got to you've got to go with that decision. I mean, that story of him transferring from Cal. He runs thirteen forty five as a sophomore at Cal, and then transfers because he has one bad race was crazy to me. And then he realized he's he was second guessing it. Maybe I made a mistake. He's like, look, I've made this decision. At the time, I thought it was the right decision. I'm going to go with it, and that's what you do. Evaluate it. And go with it. So um, we'll see what the future holds. He does look like a phenom, the gentleman he sprints. I mean, but that's the thing. He's a man amongst boys, literally at 6'2", at 15. But is he still going to be, a, you know, Usain Bolt carry that forward? You know, normally sprinters that big struggle. I guess he's already pretty fast being that big. Well, Rob, Robert, here, all right, here's the one thing. When we got on the homepage, when you announced this news, you had as the headline of the section, the next bolt. Can we retire that phrase? I'm tired of hearing it. I think it's a ridiculous expectation for all these people. There's not going to be another Usain Bolt. There's, we've got Noah Lyles. We've got Christian Coleman. They are their own people. We don't need to, like, it's going to drive people nuts with trying to make someone the next bolt. Just let them be themselves. Don't set that expectation there. I think it's unfair. 
Uh, correction, John, we don't have Christian Coleman right now. <laughs> I was wondering if you're going to... Yeah, call me out on that. All right, fair enough. We don't have Christian Coleman right now, uh, but we do have Noah Lyles. we got Costum Warholm. Costum Warholm's great. Is he bold? No. Does he need to be? No. He's a great star. Like, that excites me. So we got Trayvon Bromel, okay? So I just... That's my official petition to retire the phrase the next bolt from track and field journalism john did i tell you about trayvon bromel at the olympics at one time <laughs> all right all right i think that's our cue to end the podcast here guys i was reviewing the year we we need to hey it also we got to plan the next hundred days we got to attack we didn't have new year's resolutions on let's run we need a, the next hundred days maybe we'll discuss that at the next podcast but do you got any ideas i'm starting to thread in this what do you want to see in the next hundred days on let's run.com but Wait, I totally even got distracted saying that. This big-time planning's really distracted me what my main point was here. I thought we were going to set up the Jim Walmsley interview before this podcast turns into a two-hour slog. Oh, I remember my point. Looking back, the Alberto Salazar segment has dropped out of fashion. I think we need to commit to that in 2020. People want that. People want that. 2021, well then. We're in 2021. And the reason why is Alberto went and got himself banned from the sport for four years. So, I don't know. His CAS trial is tentatively scheduled for March. So, maybe we'll be able to bring back that content goldmine then. Joe Biden's speech is over. That's good. I was getting a little worried. He might pull William Henry Harrison for all you hist- history buffs out there. The president spoke for like a long time and was old and got pneumonia and died soon after. So, got to keep him healthy. Keep him healthy. Garth Brooks now singing. All right, anything else to discuss, or shall we move on to the much-anticipated Jim Walmsley interview? I think that's it for this week. We're not, I mean, that's not it, but we got Jim Walmsley next. He's talking about what he'll, well, we haven't spoken to him yet, but I assume we're going to talk to him about what he's been doing during COVID and the Carbon X2 race this weekend. And for those of you that are down about politics, don't be down. Follow the advice of a Let's Run poster that I read this week. He said, just get off social media and don't follow up with politics for the next four years, your life won't really change that much. So look at Jonathan Galt. Jonathan Galt has survived. John is happy now. All that angst, John, should have just ignored it all. Life's good for you. And I'm $500 richer. Okay, and we are now joined, I'm happy to announce, by ultramarathon star, legend, Jim Walmsley, three-time JFK 50-mile champion, two-time Western States 100 champion, and he also finished 22nd at the Olympic Marathon Trials last year in Atlanta in 2.15. And this weekend, he is going to try to break the world record for 100K at Project Carbon X 2. It starts Saturday, 9 a.m. Eastern time. It will be run in a undisclosed location in Arizona. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really excited and privileged to be on your guys' podcast. This is a big day for Let's Run. One, Jonathan Galt is on an ultra-running podcast. Jim, you clearly run over one over John because first time around, we first time around actually Hoka paid essentially paid us to have you on the podcast. I mean, that's not fair. You're, I think you might be the most popular American runner on Let's Run. I'm not joking, <laughs> but John wasn't on, and now John is on. He's very interested in ultras, so. Well, he, he he ran the marathon at the trials, so he won my respect. He's a marathoner now. No, I'm just kidding, obviously. But uh, yeah, no, it's great to have you on, Jim. Yeah, thanks. So I guess I, let's start with this race because um, that's sort of the impetus for this. Uh, you tried this two years ago, and 
sort of a mixed day. You did get the 50 mile world best of four hours, 50 minutes and eight seconds. Um, but then sort of the last, you know, a few miles was, was a bit tough for you. Ended up, I think fourth overall in, in that race fell short of the 100 K record. How do you feel about your chances this year? I guess I'll, I'll let everyone know the record that you're chasing is 609.14 by now Kazami of Japan. That is 556 per mile for, you know, 62 miles. How do you feel about your chances? Um, I feel fit and ready to give it a go. I think uh, everything's really set up where more or less I've been telling myself the opportunity is going to be there. And um it's tough. I, I don't test myself on this long of a road race very often. Um, so, yeah, it's exciting and nerve wracking. And I, I think I'm in a good spot for it, though. Do you feel, have you done anything different this time around compared to your last attempt at this two years ago, either in your preparation or how you were approaching the race mentally? Yeah, I think uh, the biggest difference really is probably just that I have a marathon block in my legs um, from early 2019 i think going through running a half marathon marathon um now two years in a row running a half marathon um i can tell in workouts just i can go back to workouts right now and just kind of pick up where i left off where um when i first ran my half marathon in i guess 2019 to qualify for the olympic trials um workouts were tough uh, they were almost depressing and then fast forward a whole year and I started doing some half marathon prep to get ready to as a race to get ready for the marathon trials. And, uh, just everything was kind of night and day difference. And I mean, took another minute off my half marathon time without really, I mean, prepping for the marathon. So yeah, I, I just the leg speed and stuff on the roads. I think that is just going to naturally transfer over to hopefully being a bit more efficient and more comfortable, um, holding, a much slower pace now, uh, but for much, much longer. So you said you've done like more speed, I guess, than you did two years ago for this? Yeah. So I I just didn't have as much in my legs uh, recently. Um, So, and I guess I'm talking in the last year or two, as opposed to necessarily specifically for this block. But even this block, uh, very early, I was able to just kind of get back into a couple of long road runs here in Flagstaff, whether it was Lake Mary or uh, I like running 89 South from here, but um, was able to click really comfortably 25, 30 miles at 540 pace here at altitude and feel pretty good. And then almost have to back off of, uh, I was about a month and a half out and just, I don't want to keep uh, pounding those long runs. So um ended up taking some workouts from my half marathon build up to just kind of sharpen up a bit and then increase the miles back up um learning from my marathon block uh 2018 i guess december or no excuse me 19 in 2000 december um i was doing 175 mile weeks and i thought i was in a really interesting fitness and strength and from that i kind of took some really big miles and I've done a couple back-to-back weeks of 160 miles for this block. And, um, yeah, just, uh, mixing things up. And then it's been kind of fine tuning things since going back up in some volume. Yeah. What was the longest run you did in the preparation for this? Um, I did a couple, I think 35 mile runs, uh, but I kept them on trail instead of 
on the road. Um, so time-wise, it ended up being closer to four and a half hours uh, for 35 miles because it's a lot more undulating and just a bit slower. Um, I like that. I find it doesn't beat me up as much as just going and pounding 35 miles on the road. I think I was debating doing maybe a 40-mile run. But it's more about <clears throat> the stamina of being out there for hours rather than uh, just pounding the pace forever and, and just trying to replicate exactly what you're doing on race day. Um, I think it was a little bit of a balance uh, between finding the comfortable pace around 550, 5.55, 6 minutes uh, to doing workouts above and below that. And above it would be the longer, the longer trail runs, um, 35 miles or so, and then kind of some half marathon work even thrown in there. Do you expect you're going to be, will you have company up front, like chasing this record? Like, I know you've got, Hoka's got a bunch of athletes going there, but like, is there anyone you expect to be sticking with you? Like well past halfway? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, kind of funny, you brought up, uh, JFK and kind of the intro, but, um, Hayden Hawks just recently broke my record at JFK, uh, from 2016. And I'd say for the most part, my records don't get beat very often at least. So, uh, that's always surprising. And it was in a 50 mile distance. That's a very runnable ultra. And a lot of people, especially marathoners use that race as kind of an entry to ultra running, um, which I highly recommend it. But, um, that's a big indication that Hayden's running well right now and uh, basically uh, doesn't have to do much from where he was in November to kind of be in contention. Um, I'm training with one of the guys that ran the first Carbon X, uh, Tyler Andrews. I've been training up here with him a lot, so um, I expect him to hang around a bit. And then like even Cole Watson threw in a 40-mile training run uh, on the old course uh, and ran 40 miles at my 50 mile world record pace, which, uh, just did it with his girlfriend or I think wife on the, on the bike of like, that's pretty badass. So, um, yeah, uh, I think it will be a race and, um, yeah, there, there's no slacking off. Yeah. How does the Hayden Hawks 50 mile time? I mean, 50 miles, not that far from a hundred K. So how does that, is the pace, Oh, it's night and day different. Um, I mean, one of my biggest things last time is like my mentality going into this is 80% of the race is those last 12 miles. Um, just like a marathon, you say it doesn't start till mile 20. That's the first 50 miles. It's completely different. And even though I was able to run 548 pace for 50 miles last time, um, I was totally spent and basically just threw in the flag there, getting that world best. And uh, the thing was I had to finish the race in order for that 50 miles to count. So otherwise, I mean, I would have stepped off there, but, uh, you still have to get the finish. Otherwise the 50 mile world best didn't count. Um, so I'm not sure that was fair representation of my hundred K, but big takeaway, especially even critically, like looking at history of these times is a lot of great legendary ultra runners have ran the hundred K a lot of them don't run under six hours, 20 minutes. And you're still talking 11 minutes off of the world record. Yeah. With the, that first, what's it called? Project Carbon X run. I was there. I learned a lot about the ultras, but uh, so I felt like you'd really fallen apart, not falling apart. is the right word, but you'd fallen off before 50. I'm looking at my recap now. It says about 38 miles, but I mean, you had to break the 50 mile record. I guess you didn't have to, but before we got on this podcast, you said, Oh, I had a big financial incentive for breaking 50 mile record and the hundred K. So it makes, 
you know, and a huge one if I get both. So it makes sense to sort of go for the first one first. But really slowing down like by mile 40. Like you were running crazy splits. Like you're running, it says here, 15 of the miles were sub 540. Nine of those, including sub three, sub 530. So do you think your pacing was was too crazy? Because like- Yeah, I think it was garbage. I think I lost patience. I Like I blew it. So part of me is like, maybe I could hold a proper 550 pace for 100K. But um, this go round, it's just not worth the risk. So for me personally, um, I'm going to be looking to very much stay patient the first 30 miles and just not do anything um, that takes me out of contention the first 30 miles. And then I think if you look at the both 50K splits, I'd love to negative split. However, I know those last 12 miles are going to probably be my slowest 12 miles. So with that in mind, I do find a little bit of a strategic pickup perhaps at 50K. However, um, everybody dies in 100K. So we'll try to uh, hold on. I I think pacing last one was pretty bad. Yeah. All right. So reveal your game plan for Hayden Hawks. Like, well, that was basically it. Yeah. So say this again. You want to? You're going to die, but you want to try to negative. I'm really confused here. What's what, what you're saying? So, so um, out of the 14 performances ever under six hours 20 minutes, Hideki, who won the last Project Carbon X, is the only person ever to negative split a sub six hour 20 race. And basically, I think it's just. Um, cumulative body fatigue is what's happening and and you're you just not as fresh it's most likely going to be a positive split so you kind of need to think about that i'm going to try to uh, hedge my bets with hideki and try to maybe be the second person to do it negative split but i also see if you broke down that second 50k um that first 25k of the second 50k i think that's where you got to put a couple seconds in the bank which makes it a possible negative split. But um, I would really like to go in around 303 high, 304 flat for 50K. Um, but we'll see. And yeah, we're also potentially chasing a quote unquote like wind dated time. Um, so it, it might, may or may not be realistic. Um, we'll see. I, I would be really happy. Um, just feeling like I ran a complete race and got the most out of myself. And that could be something like in the six teens high, or I, I think I can run under six twenty, but um, still that's six twenty is technically 35 minutes faster than I've ever ran in a hundred K. So it's kind of, well, we'll see. So sub six hours, I was naive enough to think last time, somehow you would break the 50 mile record and bust six hours. Yeah. Is six hours, a hundred percent off the equation. This go round, yeah. Basically, I'm going to go out too slow to have a chance, I would say. Um, unless I'm in just way better shape than I think I am. And part of me is a little optimistic because I haven't done some of these crazy killer runs or workouts that I like doing in lead-ups of races. And I'm kind of banking off of uh, hitting a couple really good indicating runs, but not really quote unquote, like proving uh, that... I can do something that I need to do. Instead, I'm confident that I think I'm going to be able to run really well on race day. Um, I've just had really consistent training for months and months now with kind of uh, a lack of racing lately. So, 
Yeah, I was actually going to ask about this because the last time we saw you was the Olympic marathon trials, which very commendable effort there. And then two weeks later, the whole world shuts down because of COVID. Yeah. Where have you raced since then? What have you been up to in the, you know, 11 months since then? Yeah. Um, so I took my kind of annual trip out to Colorado where I just camp and run around some big mountains out near Silverton. And I ended up trying to kind of run a hard rock FKT attempt, uh, just with one crew kind of going around the course and, uh, ran into some logistical problems with, uh, trying to do, um, a tricky section of the course on all of it unmarked. There's, there's no trail through the Pole Creek section, um, up around 11, 12,000 feet at night and kind of going, I mean, it's mile 70 to 85 through there. Um, you're not really in a great position, but, um, ended up pulling the plug at 72 miles and not going through that section of, uh, just too worried. Uh, I was looking at six hours ahead of me without seeing crew again. And, uh, it was a fun 72 miles, but, um, definitely given everything, not worth the risk of pushing into the night there. Um, but that was really fun, cool learning experience. I think I'll take away a lot of experience with that going forward, trying to attack UTMB in the future, not necessarily hard rock, but that's kind of the place where I go train for UTMB. And then I actually got to go to the Azores Islands and Azores uh, Islands, which is a Portuguese island in end of October, early November. And uh, I was pretty confident that there's no way I'd get beat uh, going over there. And sure enough, uh, I got second there and got beat. Um, there was a lot of mud there. Uh, I think that's the first time I've really raced uh, off trail in mud like that and really uh what caught my eye was kind of um i don't know if you guys have ever followed orienteering or know what that is but um pretty interesting athletes that basically are following this map all off trail but then so they, they do these crazy route things that like mile mile and a half interval sort of sprints off trail but then they're also getting on the track and doing a lot of track workouts so they're really fast and fine-tuned and these are like 15 to 20 mile races four days in a row and uh, it was a stage race and uh those guys were pretty interesting because they were really good trail runners but it's not like they do trail running um and kind of the conditions on the island really suited i mean it was the most technical muddy garbage i've ever ran through as a trail runner so it was challenging so wait what's that race called it was uh the solomon golden trail series championships for 2020 um so most of the athletes are going to be european solomon athletes i think max king was there um he ended up having a calf injury um rachel drake was uh an american woman there that took second overall as well so she ran really well uh but basically all the solomon athletes minus killian um and it were there um and then francois diane doesn't necessarily do the shorter trail races he's kind of just the beast in the the mountain stuff but um lots of good runners do that race better so this will this will be your first sort of road run since atlanta then is that right yeah i kind of did two things in completely the opposite direction since then but um now i'm back on the roads and then yeah uh we'll get the year going yeah well i mean i know the big target you had last year was comrades and that obviously got canceled i mean 
Is that still the goal in 2021? Does it look like yeah. there's going to be a Comrades? Is that what you're chasing? I don't know. So Comrades is pretty interesting. I mean, it's two 10-hour flights, essentially, to get to South Africa. Traveling is difficult in these times. So um, part of it might be a little bit based on vaccinations when uh, I might be able to get vaccinated. So um, things like that play a thing. But I'm actually going to run another 100K. The plant this is my dumb idea. But uh, I'm running another 100K three weeks after Project Carbon X2 um, to try to qualify back for Western states just as a backup plan. Wait, they don't? They wouldn't accept if you break this world record, Western states? Nah. Especially you're the course record holder? They're not going to let you into that thing? because it, it goes to Western states. Like Any good runner can get into Western states. However, you still kind of got to go through the loopholes to go do it. It takes some planning and basically... If I want to go run Western States, I need to plan it. And there's two more races this year that I can do to get into Western States because I gave up an, my automatic ticket from winning last time. Um, I was going to do Comrades, but now given everything since then and going forward, it's like I, I want a backup plan to race a big race in June. So um, if Comrades is looking logistically too hard to get to, uh, I might be back at Western States. Yeah, last year we came up with a... I think we called it the triple crown yeah. of ultra running, which was, let's see, Comrades, Western States, and UTMB. So you had one of them. And also my fantasy world, you're going to win like three in the same year. But I think you at the time said, no, two in a year is pretty much almost impossible. Two's pretty tough. Uh, I'm probably the only athlete, at least on the men's side, realistically. Some could do maybe Western States UTMB. But no one's all the race. All the people doing comrades are not doing a race like UTMB, and all the people doing UTMB are not doing comrades. I don't think you could. I well, I don't know, uh, but I don't think Killian could get paid enough to go run comrades. Yeah. So this race in the is it Azores? Is that how you say it? Yeah. Do you get do you get paid to show up there? Or like. It's just good for your sponsors to run races. How how does that work? There's prize money ten deep. Um, I think first place was maybe seven and a half thousand euros, and second through fifth was still six thousand euros. And then um, there's incentives for like uh, Solomon Golden Trail stuff and my contract. So um, yeah, it ended up being a decent payday and and then solomon pays for uh the flight and hotel while you're there so they get you there so it's not out of pocket much um and then you kind of get what you you earn after that but no appearance fees like the roads occasionally races i'll get appearance fees um asian races tend to really want westerners to come out and so that's probably the most likely uh area to get that but western states i'll pay like 450 bucks or whatever to re-register even if i do race in being the defending champion and course record holder i still pay 407 dollars to race it but they like it they like it because it's just you must really like this race huh? yeah i it's it's awesome yeah and, and especially like going from kind of unfortunate circumstances and being so close one year to coming back the next year, being really cocky and just getting my butt kicked in the heat. And then uh, finally winning like third time the charm sort of thing. I, I have a very 
deep relationship with Western states where, uh, yeah, I like it a lot. And in the U.S., you, you can't get really a, a better ultra than that. But what, like, what's the prize money at Western states? Or is it all for your... Zero. That's what I thought. Belt buckle, right? Yeah, you can mount your belt buckle. Well, that means... <laughs> I think Jared, Jared Hazen actually sold his belt buckle for like 600 bucks one year on eBay. People were flipping out of like, you can't do that. That means more and this and that. But uh, kind of funny. So maybe it's worth that would be net $200 in your pocket because he probably paid to get in too. Oh, I bet the Jim Walmsley belt buckle would sell for like <laughs> $1,000, but you probably wouldn't do that. Well, winner's uh, belt buckles actually say winner on it. Ooh. So they're unique in that way, but... I don't even know where it is right now. It's I put it in storage with I just have boxes. One of those days, you know, you see those guys that are like Super Bowl trophies or rings or something gets sold. Someone probably are just cleaning out stuff out of storage and their wife's like, What is this? And I go, All right, I'll put it on eBay. Teddy. <laughs> so I guess b- b- back to the Olympic trials. You're fifteenth, or no, excuse me, twenty second, two fifteen oh five. Having had a year to think about it almost, what do you what do you think about that race now? Ah, I didn't have my day. Um I I don't think I would have even close to my best day been in the top five. Um I think moving up anywhere between twenty second and maybe I could have cracked the top ten on my best day, but that's about it. I it was challenging. I, I could tell I kind of burnt I burnt too many candles in my training beforehand. I think when the going got tough, I, the drive and stuff wasn't, I wasn't as hungry as I should have been in a race in that situation. Um, just to pick off a couple more places, but yeah, it is what it is. I think it's funny because I, I get a joke that I'm a 215 marathoner and you can take that at face value if you want, but uh, I'll, I'll take on any 215 or 212 marathoner for that that matter any day. Um, I think when you start talking under 210 uh, in a road marathon, I probably those guys will have their way almost any day. So, but then you take a sub, I don't know, it'd be fun to race a 208 guy on the trails. And then the more technical it gets or this or that. um, Yeah. I'm betting on myself in that situation. And then I don't know how fast of a guy could hang with me in the Grand Canyon. I don't know, but it would take a very fast guy. Yeah, it's interesting. You said you don't. You're not sure on a, your best day. You would have gotten top five because beforehand you're you're thinking maybe I can make the team. So do you have more respect for those guys, or, or I'm just kind of curious because I don't know. We also had the marathon project last month in Arizona, and a, some guys, to be honest, I've yeah. never heard, heard of. Dude, ran that, two, that two, ran two hundred nine. Yeah, I think um, that race was pretty cool. I would think you could beat some of those guys who ran two hundred nine. I just think you have well, you have sim- better track credentials than them. Well, it goes to show track doesn't equate to marathon. Marathon doesn't equate to ultras, um, vice versa. So, so the, I'm blanking on his name, but there's actually a Kenyan-based, uh, or sorry, a Japanese-based Kenyan that ran 208 in the marathon. And I think the best he mustered out in the 100K after three attempts, I think, was like 6.33. And he ran it at least three times. Um, but there's a really good German database if you look up like ultra marathon statistics um you can find a good database or i could email you that sometime if you want to take a look yeah for sure send it to us we'll put it in the show notes as well and the 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 one rojo is not on this podcast but he was demanding that we ask about the shoes 
because he's obsessed with the shoes. We got carbon. Yeah. I didn't know about the, the this new shoe, this Carbon X2, which is coming out. But the first shoe, it didn't have P-backs. Like, have you, he wants to know, like, Jim, have you ever run a shoe with P-backs? Like, he's like, do you feel like you're at a disadvantage? Because, you know, even the first time around when I met the Hoka designers, they're like, no, this shoe is not, we're not saying this is a 4% competitor. It's designed for longer distances, mm-hmm. you know, training, hold up, like kind of Hoka's um, more in their wheelhouse. They're not, you know, those guys were like, I'm not saying this is a shoe for the marathon. I would say uh, the Rocket X by Hoka is kind of what they've designed to go more head to head with the the shoe, fast shoe industry. This one with the Carbon X2 is going to be more similar to the last one. If it's going to be your uh, up tempo trainer shoe, it's a bit it's heavier than the marathon shoes, um, but again, it's going to be kind of a nicer, more robust ride that um, is just going to feel. Uh, probably better for longer miles, um, which is what we're doing and what I want for the race. So that's great. Um, as far as top end shoe, uh, yeah, I'd race in the rocket X, um, for the marathon stuff for Hoka shoes. I, I really like that shoe. I think, um, your guys podcast with Jeff Burns is really good and kind of, yeah. PBX foam seems to be really great. And, or I think, uh, the Adidas shoe I think is TPU right now. Um, but the Carbon X2 is going to be an EVA-based shoe, I'm pretty sure. Um, same with the Rocket Carbon X2 and the Rocket X, I think, are both EVA right now. Um, but I would say um, it's hard to pin all EVA all in one lump sum. I think um, that would be like saying a shoe from the 70s is equal to a shoe in the 2000s or 2010s. Like, that's not true. So, um EVA is not all the same, and um, I'm not sure the compound of the EVA that Hoke is using in these shoes. But I mean, the Rocket X is a really great shoe. I've really enjoyed working out in that shoe for fast stuff, and um, yeah, I, I hope to race a half marathon in that shoe sometime because I'd like to take a cut. Well, the last half marathon I did, they misplaced the cone, so none of the times count. Um, Cause I think I went through the finish line in like 62 15. Um, but it was 285 meters short. So I think it would have been like 63. Oh, um, and that was in the I think carbon rocket. Yeah. The names are all getting confusing. They do. Yeah. They could take some critical feedback on that one, but, uh, I would love to run it in the rocket X. I think I could definitely dip into 62 range and I think I'd be happy with that. Um, I think 61, maybe, maybe not in my wheelhouse, but it's not worth the work to get to 61. Uh, I like doing the trail stuff, but I think with a short training block, I could get into 62 again. All right. So this sounds like this is Jim Walmsley committing to running another half marathon. Will we see you in another full marathon at any point? I don't have any plans for a marathon. I I mean, I, I don't think I can get to a marathon time that would take me anywhere yeah, I, I, I think it's all about obsessing about a time in a marathon and I just don't care to get in that game. And um, it kind of goes to why I love trail running. I think each trail race is its own artistic perspective of what happened that day and how good or maybe how much that race doesn't necessarily compare to runs in the past. And each history, each year of the race is almost, it's just its own unique vintage um, that you need to take with a grain of salt, whether it was fast or slow. Um, slow races could possibly be the best performances ever at Western States, but um, 
yeah, you just have to know more about that year and this and that. And there's just awesome stories with trail running that I really uh, like and kind of, I guess, mentally, instead of just chasing a time and being defined by a time, whether it's your 5k, half marathon, marathon, um, I find trails because every year and stuff is so independent. Um, it frees you a lot mentally to kind of get the most out of yourself regardless and, uh, time a little bit, not as important. Mentally. I mean, last year you had all this stuff planned, big plans. I mean, everyone sort of had their world turned upside. I mean, big scheme of things, missing races, isn't that big, but I mean, one, it is your job, your career. I'm sure you suffer a lot financially, but like mentally, how did you hold up having kind of everything you were targeting wiped off the calendar? I think the, the strangest thing for me that I found was mentally discerning the difference between overtraining and unmotivated. Because um, sometimes I'd be training really great, but I'd just be dragging myself through the dirt. And I guess I wasn't sure if I was overtraining or, and especially like I tried mixing in a lot of biking in May. And I think that one was overtraining. Uh I, I think I just overdid it on the Zwift setup during the initial lockdown stuff because I was still running 100 miles a week and I was getting up over 300 miles a week on the bike, just having fun. But then eventually I just couldn't push on the pedals and I couldn't, I could, yeah, I wasn't running fast at all on my runs anymore. And I just had no pep in my step and I had to hit like a hard reset. That over, The mix of overtraining and undermotivated, I feel like that that is not something I've encountered talking to any other athlete. If it was undermotivated, it was like they were taking time off, or they were like they were not going out and biking three miles, three hundred miles a week as well. Yeah, well, I had to. Yeah, it was interesting. That was fun, but even later, I I think once I finally put a goal of the Hard Rock uh, Run on my calendar on my calendar, um, it started making training more fun again to just have a bit of a goal to build towards and train for. Um, and then the Solomon Golden Trail, whatever thing it was, um, that one was pretty fun. It was more on a whim. So what they, yeah, maybe you guys will be interested in this, but what they did is they put all these Strava segments around the world. Um, and we have a lot of good runners here in Flagstaff. So they ended up putting a Strava segment. It's called a Golden Segment um, in Flagstaff. And basically the fastest person on the segment gets a free flight hotel and a chance to run in the championship race um so i drove 15 minutes up the hill and there's a, the peaks loop around humphreys here in flagstaff and uh qualified that way to get a free flight and stuff so you still had yeah kind of back to trail running you had to earn it a bit but anyone in the world uh they had segments in italy france uh australia all sorts of places and kind of bearing barring uh getting to the islands but we ended up finding a direct flight from boston straight to the islands so we didn't actually have to fly to europe and then backtrack halfway into the atlantic ocean to get there um we ended up taking a four and a half hour flight from boston uh which made it um time wise way less of a time commitment traveling but also from a covid kind of careful perspective um in my opinion, a lot less risky because basically if you can get to Boston, it's one more flight. And I mean, the plane was like a third full because you have to have like paperwork of like why you're going there um, as an American. So it, there weren't many people on the airline. All right. Well, Jim, I mean, well, do you have anything else for him before we, Jim, before we let him go? I mean, I'm, I think this was a great catching up and I'm, I'm excited now for Jim Walmsley in 2021 because we got a record attempt. We got another 100K that you're just running, you know, just sort of as a qualifier. And then we either have 
Western States or comrades, you know, will see COVID permitting with those two. Probably UTMB at the end of the year too. And UTMB. Wait, so you yeah. you would do comrades or Western States and US UTMB? Yeah. Okay. So that was my plan to do last year. I'm going to try to do the same this year. Um, if comrades doesn't work out this year, I'm not sure I'll really have an opportunity to run comrades because it's just the road ultras aren't my passion, I would say. And I have a lot more fun. I think if you have more fun training for a specific event, you should just embrace it and do it. Um, so my opinion is I, I love training for UTMB um, and bigger mountain ultras. Um, so if comrades doesn't work out this year, I'm not sure uh, I'll go back and try to make it happen. And that almost puts more pressure to make sure uh, I can get the 100K right this go around because I think I could live with a really good 100K uh, time if I don't get an opportunity at Comrades. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Comrades will be pretty epic this year if I get to go. Will, when do you have to decide for that? Comrades, I I don't know. Uh, race entry hasn't opened yet, I don't think. Um, I'll probably talk to Camille Heron. She She's one Comrade, so she's kind of got the in on a lot of stuff. But uh, I'll probably try to figure out when sign-up is for that. But is there a point in your training when you'll have to say – Western states or comrades. I mean, because with COVID, they might they might not let foreigners in until a certain date or something like that. Who knows? We'll see. Um, there'd be less heat training for comrades, um, less vert for comrades, more uh, workouts, but not too not too too different. There's lots of people that um, and Trace and La Greenwood have both won comrades and Western states. Um, so people have won. I don't think any men have comrades in the men's side is like literally their, their sphere of running in South Africa. And it's really fascinating. Um, but they don't run a lot of other ultras around the world. Wait, is there any way you do both this year? You're saying comrades and no, it's a, it's a, maybe a two week, three week turnaround in the, it's a very different, um, I'll be doing Black Canyon 100K uh, in February. I would say level of competition at Black Canyon 100K is very much less than where you need to be at for Western states. Because even all the guys racing Black Canyon 100K, are, fitness levels generally, <clears throat> it's still a stepping stone to build towards like a big summer ultra, um, which would be your Western states. You'll probably throw something in that April range to have a little bit of a ultra race, but, um, generally you're even those guys, many of them will still be on the start line for Western states, but they'll be building towards June rather than not many people show up as quickly. So the turnaround for comrades, Western states is, uh, I think too close right now these days um it used to be six weeks apart back in the day and i think and tracing won both in one year well, cool yeah I tr i'll trust your judgment on that one uh, good luck this weekend because i assume how you do this weekend might affect what you think about comrades right yeah i, I think if thing if um well i don't know i know i'm a little independent i i'm greedy i'd like both so uh I don't know. I'm going to give them hell this weekend, regardless of comrades or no comrades. And um, hopefully just get my, feel like I get my best performance out of Saturday and uh, just like kind of the marathon at some point, you kind of got to walk away and this will be my third try at the kind of my third try at the hundred K. Um, 
so yeah, I'm excited to improve off of that and hopefully uh, at least walk away with, I, I think I'm more confident at least saying I walking away with an American record under 627. So the American record, six hours, 27 minutes by Max King, who's a 214 marathoner and no chump in any distance across the board. So any of these times taken for granted are a little ignorant to, to call, but um, I'd at least love to chip away on a PR, I guess. So, uh, but I'll go out at world record pace and we'll see where that takes us. All right. Well, we're excited to see this. This could be the year of Jim Walmsley 2021. I'm saying right now. So this Hopefully. Uh, it'll be, it'll be live streamed on Hokaoneone.com. So, uh, 7 a.m. Mountain Standard Time, 9 a.m. Eastern. So you can watch the whole thing just like last time. So it'll be a cool live experience broadcast. Yeah. They, and good thing about ultras, I mean, a lot of these marathons, you know, well, this one's starting more West Coast, but they start so early. It's like 4 a.m. in the West Coast or something. Not this one. But they go for six hours. So well, eight. I think coverage goes eight hours and hopefully it will be done closer to six. But uh, I don't know. I've also had days where I have the eight hour day and well, it is what it is. But those are good character building moments. I'm not watching past six hours and 10 minutes. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe 6.27. Okay, yeah, American record. We'll keep that in mind as well. All right, Jim, thank you so much for your time and for joining us this week. It was a pleasure talking to you on the Let's Run Track Talk podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. Appreciate it. little bonus content when we kept talking with Jim. He started talking about the 24-hour record, and that led into some talk about the 100K record and why he thinks it's so good. So here that is. I don't know what happened, but... um... He had done the 10K road race in Norway. Um, so I had heard there might have been an injury out of that. So I was pretty surprised he announced doing the 24 hours so quickly. Um, but yeah, he made it 10 and a half hours and conditions looked really rough. So um, I think Desert Solstice was a better attempt, but it looked like Zach Bitter kind of showed up possibly a little burnt out. Um, his training was looking really great. Um, and I thought he had a really good chance going into that. But I guess with the 24 hour thing, um, you talk about Jonas Chorus. Uh, he's kind of like self competitive guy. So basically, he took his whole career and just focused on the 24 hour and progressed in that and ended up having like the top 10 uh, or nine out of the top 10 best 24 hour distances. Um, but something with the 100K is uh, not only has it been really competitive for longer than the, well, as long as the 24 hour, I'm sure actually there are probably 24 hour events as long as mankind. Cause there's something kind of romantic about racing the sun in that way. But, um, the hundred K I would say takes a whole field of competitive runners as opposed to one person. So Giannis course kind of dedicated a whole career to chipping away at a faster and faster time, but you're also talking about one individual really attacking it that way. I think the hundred K has had, uh, hundreds and thousands of people really trying to chip away at a hundred K distance. Um, so ultimately I think the hundred K would be a better gold standard for, um, 20 for the ultra world representative than the 24 hour. I think Giannis courses is exceptional, but it's the work of one person working together where you have a collective, um, bigger, uh, crowd of people working towards the, 100k um which i think ultimately will make it a more competitive record um not only that i think it's a better introductionary ultra distance um for 
the marathoners in the world to take a crack at. Uh, I think for them to go for 24, I mean, for me to go for 24 hours, it's so different and out of my wheelhouse. Um, I couldn't imagine a marathoner going and doing it and having good success right away. Um, you go through all sorts of growing pains and I would be no exception to that. I'd be surprised if any other mar current marathoner would be an exception to that in 24 hours. And likewise, uh, I think they would still go through growing pains, um, like myself kind of being too ambitious in the hundred K, but, um, essentially, uh, I think the hundred K would, is a better standardized ultra distance. If you're going to take something like that as the gold standard. Yeah, maybe I'm selling this record way short, or maybe I didn't know what I was talking about the first time, because I'm like, oh, Jim's going to get all these records, and I realized, okay, it's not that easy. And even hearing you just talk, I'm like, wow, this record's harder than I think. I don't, I'm not sure he's going to get it. Well, just think about how deep Japanese marathoning is, and um, essentially, the deeper the marathon world is, the better trickle over you'll have for talent going into ultras and trying it. Um, and I think right now we're getting better depth in the U.S., which could be an argument for trickling over to possibly better talent. Um, but, that, yeah, I would say there's kind of a trickle over effect. And the deeper running world is, the more competitive all the records will get because just people will trickle just a little further. That's how we all ended up in distance events on the track anyways. <laughs> that's, that's totally true well i don't know i look at the numbers i just see 556 for over six hours i mean that's absurd i couldn't imagine doing that running that fast for that that long well it still goes to ignorance like you, you just kind of gotta attack it and try and stick your hand in the fire and hold it in there for as long as you can and maybe you can hold it forever and maybe you can't um yeah i i don't know um i think a so it sounds like a lot of people, at least five other runners, I think, are going to be going out at world record pace as well. Um, racers. And then in addition, we'll probably have at least another five pacers in that for the first 22 or 30 miles. And uh, that'll be really interesting. I, I kind of am mentally expecting to be losing by several minutes, probably at uh, either 50K or 50 miles as late as 50 miles. I, I wouldn't be surprised if I'm running on world record pace and someone's three, four minutes ahead of me and I end up 20 minutes ahead of them at the finish line. Cause again, I think 80% of the racing is in the last 12 miles is how I'm mentally approaching it. And, uh, I'm basically the only one that's ran hundred K on the road, um, out of everyone going for the world record. So, uh, I feel like I have a bit of experience to talk on this and, I think a lot of the other guys are in my shoes two years ago of uh, ignorance is bliss and uh, you kind of pound your chest that I'm going to not only do this, I'm going to run it under six hours. And I think I even equated that to um, a, a friend the other day of like, that's like calling your shot of like, not only are you going to break Giannis courses, what, 188 miles in 24 hours, but you're going to see how many miles over 200 you can get of like, it's just kind of a ridiculous point to the crowds of like, instead of just hitting a grand slam all the way in the upper grandstands, maybe just a normal home run grand slam instead. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, if you want to save 20% on the first ever data-based nutrition pre and post run shakes from pure, go to pure.com. That's P W U R E.com and use code next level. Pure uses your fitness tracker and an online questionnaire to determine which amounts and ratios of carbohydrates, protein, and other nutrients 
will be best for you to optimize performance and recovery. This is pretty cool stuff. My sample of Pure is coming out to me, custom-made for me, in Brooklyn, New York. 20 pro runners tested their formulas last year. 82% of users have seen their performance improve after one month using Pure. All their formulas are sustainable and can even be made vegan. Go to pwure.com and use the code NEXTLEVEL for 20% off.